What's that? Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I uh, don't have much of a voice uh, today for some reason. Uh, and uh, I am joined by uh, my co-host, uh, David Russell. How you doing, David? Excellent. And uh, I'm joined, up, by, joined by the um, usual suspects. <laughs> okay. I am not a cat. Or Teddy, whatever that you're is. You're clearly not a cat. Teddy is has discovered Zoom filters, and so. <laughs> and I, I. How do I get rid of this? I'm just like that lawyer, and, and the, that lawyer was from Texas. How do I get rid of this? I, I'm just not going to tell you. Uh, we have Teddy, obviously. Um, we have uh, Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? Okay. Uh, Hi, how are you doing? And uh, we've Sorry, got Darren. How are you doing, Darren? That mute button, man. It's that stupid button. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you I'm work in tech, a... right, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> we we might get some um, appearance of Matthew at some point in this show. I think he said that he wasn't going to be able to make it today, though, now that I think about it. But if he does, he'll pop in and uh, say howdy. Uh, at any rate, we're going to go with what uh, we have right now. We're going to complete our discussion that we uh, started last week. I like the 3D glasses. Um, How do I on, get rid of it? I'm just like, I'm not a cat dude lawyer. On, uh, on, <laughs> just <laughs> see what you do, uh, Teddy. Okay, hold, hold on. Let me, let me tech support Teddy out of her. Um, frankly, Teddy, I don't want you to get rid of it. I'm here live. I, I, want, you, I want you to keep it. Um, <laughs> but if you scroll up to the top of the video uh, list, those options, the very first one is none. I pressed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, background filters. It's got, it's going to be like this. Click on click on the video, uh, in the in the filters thing, and click on none. It's the top. It's the top one. Yeah, I, I'm clicking, but that's on virtual background. Oh, wait a minute, the video right. filter thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay, so we are like. Oh, <laughs> oh there we go. <laughs> I don't know why this guy, I, I can't do this, people. Um, we're going to continue our discussion from last week. We're going to soldier on. We've got, uh, actually, we saved some of the more important topics for this week. Some of the uh, topics that we discussed last week, we only touched on, and I'm going to uh, come back and take uh, a second pass at them. Uh, I, I want to start with a uh, an icebreaker uh, from last week's conversation. How would you describe your relationship with technology? And I enhance that. How would you uh, describe most people's relationship with technology? The choices uh, that I've given the panel uh, are uh, hostile toward technology. Uh, they have an uneasy truce with technology. Uh, you can take it or leave it. Uh, they're technology friendly, they love it, or it is uh, that it is it is a vital part of the, their life. And so, uh, Teddy, it seems appropriate to start with you. What is your relationship with technology? Well, and it 
seems appropriate that I should disagree with all of those choices and have my own, which is mixed bag. Um, and that is that uh, I love technology when I can get it to work uh, without having to spend too much time figuring it out. And uh, I detest it when I uh, can't quite get it to work. So. That sounds more like a you problem. Uh, so it, it, is, it is a me problem, but it's my relationship with technology that you're asking about. So, uh. mm -hmm. so what, how do you think that other people relate to technology? What's your impression of that? Um, I, I think that, you know, the real techie people, you know, uh, just love it uh, and have no reservations about their love for it. But then, you know, regular folks like me, you know, when it works, it's great. So you think of yourself as a regular folks. I do. I do. I would disagree. Um, why would I disagree? Uh, in part, because you're on a podcast. Uh, and most people nerd. wouldn't do geek. it. Geek. Geek is better than nerd, right? Geek, nerd. No. No. Geek. No. The fact that you even think that there's a difference and you're ruminating over what the difference might be suggests you are not regular people. Stop it. Darren, what's your relationship with technology? I, it's a vital part of my life. Um, and I think everyone, uh, technology is part of everyone's, a vital part of everyone's life. Um, cars, houses, grass, food. They may not... Um, they may not realize it and they may have problems with it, but it's a vital part of everyone's life. Unless they're smoking grass. I don't think that grass is technology. Um, no, actually it is because of the strains that they, that people uh, produce. Everything's technology. We're going to have to run that by the committee. Um, Andrew, your relationship with technology? Your relationship with mute buttons? Uh, mute, can you not hear me? I got you now. Okay, all right. So um, absolutely, absolutely essential part of my life. And uh, yet there are things about technology uh, that I have a real problem with. Uh, I'm also a technology creator. Um, and uh, I think that technology has a whole uh, has a whole range of, of issues, but like Darren said, um, whether we like it or not, technology is an essential part of our lives. Uh, from from strains of uh, from new strains of marijuana to pacemakers, um, we can't get. I'm not sure that runs the whole continuum. By the way, that may have said more about me than uh, in technology, but I don't think that we can get away uh, any longer from the fact that technology. Uh, is not uh, a niche thing. It is something that we all rely on, even when we don't realize it. Right. So even though I didn't uh, correct Darren on this, the intent of the second question was, how do you think other people would answer? How do you think most people would answer that, uh, their relationship with technology? So I grant that everybody needs it as a vital part of their life, whether they know it or not. But how do you think they relate to technology? Okay, um, we will um, 
just swing back to Darren. Uh, Darren, now that I've clarified, how do you think that other people relate to technology? Well, if uh, uh, Teddy's experience with the filters and Andrew's experience with the uh, mute button is any indication, um, not well. <laughs> There's actually a bug in Zoom. I'll tell you what's going on with, uh, with the mute button. Uh, we don't need excuses. Yeah, that's you know, what make fun there, of there, there are bugs on Zoom. I'm gonna, I'm, if, you I'm, swipe I'm just gonna say. if you swipe all the way to the right, it brings up uh, a, a driving mode screen. And that button, even though it pretends to uh, put you on and take you off of mute, doesn't actually work. So there, there is a bug on that screen. Uh, on the regular video screen, the mic button works exactly as it should. So uh, I've been tinkering with this. Uh, and, and so there is actually a bug there. Yeah. Um, so go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. You, uh, you can answer the second part of that question. Oh, sure. There's a reason I ask it. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So I think that um, probably, I think that probably there are two dimensions that uh, would help define where someone falls in terms of their relationship to technology, uh, education and age. And if we could, if we could organize those axes correctly, I think we'd be able to place most people in relation to the technology that they use and how they feel about it. So it would work very much like this. Um, how much of the, uh, how much of their technology have they been educated about and how many years of exposure have they been able to have? to the technology uh, as it was developing. And so I think there's a range of responses to technology. And I think uh, most people um, would fall roughly into groups around their own education and age. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. It's not quite a direct answer, but I think it's the best I can do because there's a whole range of issues and people and how they relate to technology. Okay, Russell, let's see if you can answer the question that Spirit was asked. Um, you know, what's your relationship to it? And what do you think most people uh, would say uh, that their relationship to it is? Well, hey, first off, great show last week. Sorry I missed it. But uh, it was interesting to hear David Johnson uh, promote objective truth, Teddy deny objective truth, and Andrew actually felt the spirit. So that's so that was really interesting overall, guys. Uh, I feel like that you yeah. heard a different show. It's skeptics no, and seekers. No, 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 Squarespace. No, I heard you. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard it. I believe in But uh, okay, the so spirit just messing with you, man. Because I, I don't, I no longer feel the spirit, and I still, <laughs> I'm still an atheist. <laughs> Well, ahead, well, yeah. Ahead, well, it comes and goes for you, Andrew. We know that. The only consistent one there was Darren the entire time. <laughs> uh, but let's, uh, yeah, so I, I have to agree with Darren and Andrew. It's, it is a vital part of our life. Like when I first heard you ask the question, uh, I was thinking to myself, well, I'm friendly to it. I, I don't put much stock here and there. But then when you think about it, uh, you know, you drive your cars, you mow your lawn, <laughs> uh, 
you know, do anything, you have your technology with you or some sort of technology, whether it's primitive in its construction or whether it's uh, advanced in its construction. So uh, technology is a vital part of our lives ever since we were able to make tools, you know. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say it's vital. And I think how people approach it is a big, big uh, um, determining factor in how they see it. But I think it would apply to them, even if it unbeknownst to them, uh, it, 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 it's a vital part of their lives, too. Yeah. Um, OK, so my thought on it is obviously technology is a vital part, part of my life. I, I don't do what I do. Uh, I don't make a living without it, uh, quite frankly. So uh, there's there's nothing about me that would be me um, without Okay. Also, I have a microphone with red lights. Check that, people. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's and also that kind of tells you what kind of nerd I am. Uh, points to anybody who can identify this mic simply because uh, simply from the top of it. I bet that there are some people in the audience who could do that. Uh, I won't bother to tell you what it is. Look it up. Um, as far as other people, I think that other people think that they don't have much of a relationship with technology. The things that we think of as technology, computer related, I think that they think, um, I think that they have an uneasy truce with it. They understand it's necessary, uh, but they're not willing to do what it takes to really master it. Uh, and so I, I do think that that kind of falls in the uneasy truce category. But I think that one of the things that separates us from lower animals is our willing to augment ourselves and our lives and our behaviors with tools. Um, we, are, we are tool making, tool using features. And so even the people who are not, who, who think that they are not into tech are into the tech of their time even if it's not the tech of our time. They are, they are tool-making, tool-using fools, uh, every one of them. I don't know a single woman, and I know a lot of old ladies, uh, who wants to go back to hand-churning butter. I don't, I don't know a single one who wants to do that. Um, they would rather use the technology <laughs> and buy butter that's already done. Uh, most people don't want to make or mend their own clothes these days. There are some who uh, can do it because they're really, really good at it. Uh, and I, I hate to see that that art being lost, but fewer and fewer people actually want to do it. Uh, most people, given the choice of making their own or, or you know, taking some money and burning it at a uh, clothing store, would rather do that. Uh, we use technology to augment ourselves all the time is one of the things that uh, separates us from other animals. As I said, and other animals seem to be perfectly content with using whatever it is God gave them uh, and living their life that way. And we humans are not. We are always pushing forward. Uh, we don't recognize limits. And uh, when we run into a limit, we do our best to make a tool and smash through the limit. So um, that's what technology uh, does for us. And that's, that's kind of how I view it uh, in, the, in the main. So uh, I, ask, I ask about uh, other, how you think other people see technology. Uh, the reason is because I thought that we might have a little bit of conversation uh, 
on how we fix it. But you, none of you, well, most of you did not cooperate except for Teddy, uh, who answered the question the way I intended for it to be answered. Um, and He's I the think answer for all of us. I well. <laughs> Um, if I had known you were going to answer the question so badly, I would have just given you your answers in the notes. Um, the, um, the thing is, I think um, there is a disparity between the people who understand uh, the power and function of uh, modern technology and people who don't. And uh, what I kind of was curious about is how do, how do we bridge that gap? Uh, what, do, what do we do to kind of bring people along who aren't where we are? And I'm not suggesting that everyone should be where we are. We're nerds on the internet doing a video podcast. Um, everyone doesn't have to be doing that. I, in fact, I hope everyone doesn't do that. <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of people are missing out on what modern technology can bring. And some of it is because they they just don't understand its benefits. Uh, so what should we do about that? Should we just push ahead and uh, tell people to lead, follow, or get out of the way and uh, leave them behind? Or should we uh, offer a, a way to bring them on board? Um, is there any responsibility for people like us to people like them? Go. I don't think so. I, I think we let people do what they want. If they want to jump on board with the technology, then they jump on board. If they don't, let, let them be free. Let them, let them do what they want to do. I mean, they're going to have to come to terms with it at some point. I mean, whether they're laying in a hospital bed, hooked up to machines or getting tests done, uh, trying to make a phone call from a cell phone. At some point, they're going to have to, to scratch the surface. I agree with all of that until uh, you get to people that are trying to legislate technology. Yeah. Once you get to people that are legislating it, then I think they need to have a firm understanding of what exactly it is they're doing. I think we are offering plenty of opportunities for people to onboard uh, with technology. Um, every high school kid uh, that lives in a family of older adults that poo-poo's technology is, you know, uh, trying to show their their uh, family members, uh, you know, exactly what good it is and how much fun they have with it and that sort of thing. And I realize everyone is a probably an overclaim, but uh, the point is that I think there are plenty of opportunities to onboard with technology. And the rest of it is a personal decision. You can't make people see advantages. Um, that's slightly different from the question of, is there some level of technology that we should make universally available? Is there an economic, uh, is there an economic cost to technology that some people can't pay? That kind of thing. But in terms of onboarding, with technology, I think technology companies are doing a fine job of, of trying to help people get on board with technology, uh, to use it successfully, et cetera. Um, but you can't, you can't make all people uh, follow the same path. Teddy? Yeah, I, I also think that 
you know, people ought to do just what they want to do and what they think is best for themselves and their families. It's not as if technology isn't without its downside. And, uh, you know, we see, for example, you know, they talk about how when children get over a certain amount of hours of screen time, how it might affect their brains and, uh, and different things. And, you know, a lot of times kids are, I mean, I, I know my generation, we watched a lot of television, but uh, there's something different with uh, sometimes all the video games, just all of the, the quick action going on. And, and then perhaps that might make it difficult for some people uh, when they are doing a task that is not so stimulating in terms of having lots of stuff flashing in front of their eyes, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, th I think it's got its, its benefits and its detriments. Uh, they say that with the military, that uh, all of that video game playing actually has helped out um, really well in terms of, I guess, hand-eye coordination. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. But, uh, you know, if people don't think that that's right, like I'm sure uh, Amish folks are obviously not on the technology train. <clears throat> and that's uh, because they're hypocrites. They are on the technology train. They've just chosen their century for technology. Well, that's true. That's true. But in terms of just modern technology. But uh, so, you know, it, it's got its benefits and its detriments. And I think people should be allowed to, to choose what they want to do. But uh, you know, but you know, now that I'm thinking about it, um, there becomes a question as to what about parents, like let's take the Amish and if they um, withhold technology from their children, is that a type of child abuse almost? Because are they setting their child up to fail if their child should ever choose to, to leave that uh, community? So yes. I don't know at what point does the, does the government have, a, I don't know, a duty or right. You know, I, I that's a, that's a tough one. Ooh. Well, so let me, let me just, let me jump in and um, disagree with almost all of you. Again, I, I've got a feeling that that's going to be the pattern. Um, so that's fine. I don't mind being in the hot seat. Um I'm wearing my asbestos uh, sweatpants, so I'm okay. Um, I do think that we have a responsibility. I think society has a responsibility uh, in the same way that uh, we have a responsibility to teach people basic math, to teach people reading skills, um, to teach people some basic history, whether they think they need it or not. We have a responsibility as a society to bring people along with us. And so we do that in the form of public education and um, the um, core curriculum and um, standardization and things like that. We are trying to set a basic standard uh, of education that we don't want a person to fall below. Uh, and yes, at a certain age, you can allow people to opt out of school, but we do everything that we can to make sure that that uh, information is available. I believe that technology is in that um, same category of education. They, people who don't understand 
um, the benefits of technology at the very least need the opportunity to have the education. I think that schools from, uh, you know, maybe the fourth grade on um, need to have a curriculum that involves common technology. This is, this is how to use a smartphone. These are, these are apps that you would use on a computer. This is an email uh, attachment. You should not open this. Let me, let me teach you about spam and um, malware and how to protect yourself. These are, these are things that should be taught along with the arithmetic, arithmetic table. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that there is a responsibility societally. I think there's a responsibility for each of us geeks uh, because we have families. And uh, we all have some family member who is not very technologically literate. And it's not up to us to force them to use technology. But if we see them struggling with something and we know of a technology that can help them, we should tell them about it. Uh, if, if they get interested and buy a smartphone, we should, we should uh, help them learn how to use it. Um, we, we do a lot of things on the Internet. I remember one of the things that Andrew did um, when we... Uh, got onto the unbelievable boards, uh, seems like forever ago now, uh, is explain to people how to format their posts uh, so that they would have bolds, bolding and uh, headings and uh, number lists and things like that. And that was a big help for people. So even people who had a certain level of technology, they didn't, they didn't know how to make a good looking post. And so that was, that was made available. I think that we do, those of us who have, have a responsibility to share. And it's not just a matter of, well, I got mine. And if they're too stupid to get theirs, then um, too bad. So I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, there are things that we can do without, you know, forcing people to do something that they absolutely don't want to do. But once again, I, you know, it's, it's a, at the very least, at, at the education level of young people today, it should be offered in school along with um, everything else that we offer in school. It should be a part of the core curriculum because it's a part of the core life experience. I am, um, David, in terms of what you're saying, I, I actually agree with a lot of um, what you're saying, probably all of it. Oh, gosh. And look, we had a, a very over, strong over, agreement over, fest over. last week. I don't want that to continue this week. Hell, it's frozen over. Okay, so, because um, I don't, I, I just, I mean, I think that parents are to be given a lot of leeway in terms of how they raise their children. And uh, I believe in religious liberty and all of that. But, you know, again, they're, the the state the government has a certain duty to protect children and so what if somebody's parents think um that oh you know i don't want my child educated or my religion says that you know i can beat my child within an inch of his or her life you know there 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 are limits like to everything. a slave <laughs> a bed a bed <laughs> Servant, servant. Um, uh, by the way, my it's so funny. I, I told some friends about that, and so now they they say to me, "My event, my event." <laughs> to me. <laughs> so anyway, um, but Matthew, sorry hey. guys, Hello, humble apologies. Friend. I do apologize. No apology necessary. We're so happy to see you. 
Digging the shades, dudes. Thank you. Uh, this is technology at work. It's allowing me to do a video podcast without using an eye patch, and uh, I can still hide my eyes, which I will continue to do as long as I can get away with it. All you need is a hat for the full-on Blues Brothers look. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> hey, there was that hat with yeah. the hamburger thing. Right. That, yeah, that's that is exactly the thought I had too, and I thought, no, I'm not going to be a hamburger. Well, it was kind of work. like a fedora, but it was like a fedora. So yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to give it back to you, uh, Teddy. But I just want to catch uh, Matt up very quickly. Uh, we had uh, asked the first question on the list, which is what your relationship with technology is, and everyone, um, almost everyone, went off on their own answer and did not select the choices. And then they went on to misunderstand the second question and answered it their way instead of my way. And so this has already gone badly for me. But the idea of the second question is just that um, you, are, you are telling us how you think most people would answer that question, uh, what their relationship to technology would be. And we've um, uh, and so to summarize the rest of the conversation, I, I felt like if, if those of us uh, well, who are very technically capable will call us the haves and those who are not technically capable will call them, call them the have-nots, uh, even if they don't understand the benefits of technology, do we have any responsibility uh, to help them or do we just leave them behind? Uh, and so most of the other panelists uh, coldly said, uh, they can do what they want to. And if they don't get on the train, they missed it. And I said, uh, I gave a more socialist answer and said, no, we should teach them. Uh, we should teach, we should make it a part of school curriculum. We should, um, you know, do our part individually to help our family members and friends uh, who, you know, might can benefit with technology. Um, and so I do think that we have some kind of responsibility. Uh, and so Teddy is, uh, Teddy and I That's are- a socialist answer. That was just a, a, a wise answer. Mm -hmm. Teddy and I are in strong agreement and having trouble coming to terms with it. Uh, so, Teddy, as you wrap up your answer, uh, I want to I want to see how uh, Matt uh, responds to this because he brings a perspective that none of us has. He comes from a socialist country. Uh, hey, so. <laughs> we are not socialists here in Limeyland. <laughs> Um, Go ahead, Teddy. You can finish your thought. Yeah, I, I was just, um, you know, there's the, the question of at what point does the government have an interest in ensuring that children are, are equipped to succeed uh, as adults and to be able to support themselves and to not necessarily be forced to, for example, if, if a child grows up in an Amish community with you know, Amish parents, uh, and if they want to keep technology away from the child, or let's just say they say, you know, or just any religious group or, or just any group says that, you know, we don't want our child to have any education. Does, does the government have an interest in protecting that child in the same way that we protect children from, uh, physical abuse or sexual abuse. Um, the right to an education is, is a core feature of, of somebody's ability to, um, most of the time, 
time to succeed and, and to have uh, potential uh, in front of them in terms of choosing to have the job that makes them happy and you know is fulfilling as opposed to something that is is you know where just anybody can flip a burger and and being forced into that it's one thing if somebody's young and they do that or it's an, it's another thing if somebody's older and that's what they want to do but right. but to have no other options i mean there's a I right. think to a, have no option is to be forced that yes, that is yes. that is and, a very so it's, it's like I agree. Yeah. Uh, so uh, from uh, our socialist uh, on the panel, what do you, I don't know what your political system is. Come on. No, no, um, not exactly capitalism. They're not American. Come on over there. Um, what do you, what do you think, um, Matthew? Um, well, technology is vital. Uh, it, you can't function in society nowadays if you don't have some kind of appreciation or familiarity with technology. It's, you know, I imagine that 100 years ago, people were having this same conversation about cars. And now cars, we just take them for granted. You know, transportation, whether you're driving your own car, or whether you take a taxi, or whether you take a bus, it is absolutely integral to the fabric of society now. Whereas I'm sure 100 years ago, if we told them that was going to happen, people would go be up in arms about it, saying socialism. And technology is just that thing. In 100 years from now, people will be baffled that we ever even had this conversation. Life changes, the things that we use changes, and technology is just one of those things. And it is essential that people growing up are given the opportunity to become familiar with it. When you and I were were young children, David, the technology, the computers and things that we had access to are very different to what we have now. I predict that we've got a generation of children growing up who their technology is solely down to smartphones. The idea of having a laptop or a desktop PC is probably completely alien to them. They may even never own one in their entire life. All of their technology usage will be done through their smartphone. And that's something that we didn't imagine probably even 10 years ago. So technology changes and we just need to deal with it. So whether you love it or whether you think it's a vital part of your life is probably irrelevant. You're going to have to deal with it because it's going to be there as part of life. So I'm going to uh, keep a promise uh, that I made. I know that uh, some of you guys might have uh, some other follow-up. If, uh, if uh, either one of you, Darren, Andrew, or Russell have one last piece of follow-up, the mic goes to the first person who grabs it, and then we'll move on to the next topic. I think I agree with a lot of what you said about uh, technology. Um, but I don't think we need to do the basics of, you know, teach them how to use email. I think uh, kids are going to pick that up um, if they have an interest in it and if they want to. But I do agree that teaching people to use it responsibly, uh, like malware and uh, viruses and, uh, and, you know, misinformation, uh, all that critical thinking, um, that definitely needs to be added to our curriculum at school. Well, I mean, it may be like sex education. Um, people are going to figure out how to do it, whether you give them sex education or not, but that doesn't mean that, um, sex education, uh, doesn't have its place. Uh, and I, I, 
pretty sure that my wife wishes that um, there was a more useful sex education when I was in school. Um, because there's doing it and then there's doing it well. <laughs> so no one, no one ever talks about that. We're going to do a sex show at some point and um, this will come up. Um, will there be cakes? anybody who wants to be on the sex show? This is going to probably happen in April. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> anybody who wants to talk sex uh, on SNS, start raising your hand in the comments now. That will probably be two to three weeks worth of conversation. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about all of the different aspects of it. Uh, and there will be no blushing on that show. So, um, what glasses are you going to wear for that show? You'll see. <laughs> we have a little uh, bubble pipe too, the Hefner bubble pipe. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I agree with a lot of uh, what everybody said. Uh, I think Thanos says it best when he says, I am inevitable. I think technology is inevitable. I think that, uh, uh, it being taught in schools is, yeah, I mean, it has to be, um, just with my own kids. I mean, they're learning. I have once one of my kids are in cybersecurity classes and he's a freshman in, in high school. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's inevitable. I think that you can't force the older generations or isolated, uh, segments of society such as the Amish or, those guys that kill people that come to their own. <laughs> I don't know their name, <laughs> but uh, the uh, yeah, I, I mean, you can't force it, but if you want to be part of society, you're going to have to learn it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, making it available and forcing it are two very different things. And um, I'm, I'm against forcing it on older people, but I am in favor of, making it available to older people and also making it a requirement for younger people in schools as part of curriculum. And I, I think that's even different than forcing it to, but uh, if you disagree with me, say so in the comments, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Um, and so uh, before we move on to a more, <laughs> that was actually supposed to be the casual part of the show, a more serious uh, conversation, uh, I do want to mention next week's show because I know that I will forget before the show is over. Next week's show is going to be uh, myself and David Russell, Mono e Mono, to walk in. Uh, two will walk out too, don't worry about it. Um, and we will be talking about the hiddenness of God. I will be uh, posting uh, that uh, blog post early. In fact, I'll probably have it posted by the time you hear this podcast. So look on the uh, site for that, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. You can email me directly at skepticsandseekers uh, at gmail.com. Uh, you can begin to uh, start making your comments on the hiddenness of God. Uh, the post is about 3,000 words or so. Uh, so you'll have plenty of time to read it uh, before we do the show uh, next week. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Let's get into uh, the serious part of our discussion. And uh, as a prom, was that okay? As a uh, promise to uh, Teddy, I'm going to jump straight to uh, some First Amendment discussion that we touched on last week a little bit, but I think that. Um, that more needs to be said. So we do have um, a First Amendment kind of issue in our country uh, right now. And even though I don't think it's a First Amendment uh, problem, a lot of people do. And, um, and 
technology is at the heart of that. And so before jumping directly into the First Amendment problem, I just want a yes or no from the panelists. This is a monosyllabic answer. Yes or no. There's no maybe. There's no gray area. There's no speech. All right. Um, so the question is, do you think uh, big tech has too much power? Yes or no? I am going to start off no. Yes. No. No. Yes and no. <laughs> oh, God. How do I put I a big X yes on that square? No. Is that possible? Aaron beat me to it. I was going to say the same thing. It's, it's, not a, it's not properly a binary answer. Hmm. These are exactly the answers I expected, by the way. This is exactly what I expected. Okay, uh, Andrew, um, you are not happy with yes or no. I know this because you are not happy with yes or no on pretty much any question. Therefore, uh, what is some of the nuance uh, that this question needs is does big tech have too much power well okay so when we ask that question today i think we're i'm not necessarily accusing you of this i, I think this is a problem in the media uh, when we ask that question right now we sort of understand the question to actually be do social media companies which are technology companies have too much power that is a different question from whether technology companies have too much power. It's also a different question uh, so than what I, I intend, because I, I am thinking about all of technology, things like uh, Apple's App Store, for instance, the Wall Garden, um, right. things, things like uh, Chromebooks and Google's ability to make any updates pushed uh, automatically, things like, um, well, it, all of technology. So. Uh, the, the complaint well, and, and is not so just about problem. social media. Right. Well, but see, that's the problem. Um, technology is not uh, a, a homogeneous question. So um, if, I, if I said, um, you know, uh, does GM have uh, too much power in regard to how it refines its engines, that would be a, a very different question then um, does Apple's walled garden, uh, does Apple have too much power because it has the walled garden and the kind of control over it that it has? Okay. The, reason I dis the reason I think it is the same question and the place where my mind is, is that these tech com companies are autonomous and they can make huge decisions that affect an enormous number of people. It doesn't matter what the decision is or what the topic is. The fact that they have the power that that one company has the off switch to, you know, it, certain percentage of phones, 50 percent of uh, the, the smartphones in America. That's a lot of power. Uh, right. And it doesn't matter what they do with it. It doesn't matter where they ever do anything bad with it. It's you can still uh, address whether that's too much power. And GM may be in the same position. They may have they may have too much power when it comes to uh, you know things like engines. Well, the reason I disagree with you, and the reason I say that it is not homogeneous, is because it's not the same kind of technology, and they're not regulated the same. 
And so if it were a, a homogeneous environment where the technologies were close enough to similar that they were all regulated the same, I think we'd have a different kind of conversation. But in order to evaluate whether a company has uh, too much power, as you put it, I think we not only have to question um, what, what the company is, what it produces, what the market is, but how it's regulated. And there's too much diversity along that landscape and too many dimensions to me to say, yes, it's homogeneous and, and give a yes or no answer. Right. And I, and I think that uh, while that is true, the question is about big tech and big tech t- tends to be more about the big five uh, uh, Apple, Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, and Facebook. Um, I think that's what the conversation is. I don't think that... that, That's what the question is. This is what I said, is that we're going to end up confusing social media companies with all of tech. And it's a... I mean, you can... Those those aren't all social media companies, Andrew. conversation that way, but... It's not a trap off all into. Right, but it's not those aren't all social media companies, Andrew. Those are those are just the biggest tech companies that no uh, are are the target of the thing that people call big tech today. Uh, right. That's that thank you. That's exactly my point. And so they're not all the same. And we shouldn't we shouldn't lump them together as if they are. Okay, uh, Darren, you had uh, a, a non-binary answer. Uh, what did? Um, how did you want to spool that out? Um, well, I, that I share a lot of the concerns that Andrew had with the question, but I think if we're talking about that, I think I think when you say big tech, you mean uh, technology that has a very um, uh, has a web of um, integration into society so that if it goes disappears one day, then society really has a big issue. Is that? Yeah, I think generally speaking, that's true. But it's what I what I specifically mean by big tech is what the media means and what politicians mean when they say big tech. And, and I think that that is a little bit more specific. They're not talking about companies that produce pencils. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think that you can get a little bit too pedantic and miss the question. Right, but are we including like PGE in that big tech? Are we including what, I'm sorry? PGE, uh, electricity companies? It, they're, they're not part of the big tech discussion. I, under, I understand that they are a big part of life, uh, and we would call them a utility that's not under the umbrella of big tech. So let me say again, what most people mean when they say big tech, uh, they're talking about what, uh, uh, what many would call the, uh, the big five, Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, Facebook, and Microsoft, um, because together they control just about every, every aspect of computing. Uh, you could uh, throw in uh, other players like Samsung and Qualcomm. Uh, I, I think that's that would probably be fair, but that's what that's what most people mean, and that's what I mean. Yeah, and I, if that's all you mean, then no, I don't think they do. Just because, um, 
because Facebook is considered part of your five. Am I remembering that list yes. correctly? Yes. Uh, so I, I walked they're, away they're from not Facebook. my five, by the way. They're, you, you know, you can. <laughs> well, I, I live in the tech world, so <laughs> I, I'm going off of your list because that's. Right. right. It's a, it's a very common list, right? It's, it's, um, uh, they, they, once again, they're, they're often called the big five. If you were, um, talking about the Bible and you said the 12 people would know what you were talking about. Um, you say the five, uh, people, uh, tend to know what you're talking about in tech. So once again, I, I recognize that there are other companies in tech, there are car companies and battery companies and so forth, but that's not, that's not what people mean. Well, yeah. but, and, but that's part of the problem, though. The, the fact that people don't understand what large tech companies are. Uh, and so the fact that they only associate large tech with these five companies is, uh, is not a way to narrow the conversation. Uh, in fact, it, it's, it's sort of wholly the wrong way to narrow the conversation. Uh, and that's what I was driving at. So um, the food you eat is part of big tech. Now, we should actually have the Monsanto conversation at some point. Uh, is GMO, uh, uh, is GMO the bad thing that some people think or is it not? But that sort of artificial limiting is really just about people being unaware of how deeply and what kinds of technologies penetrate their lives. Right, and so once again, uh... Fairly narrow. Uh, I think I've been pretty clear about the the scope of the tech that we're talking about. Russell, you've got you've got facial expressions. Do you have any words behind them? Not much, but I do agree with Andrew. And and I was just gonna say, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if it's related now, but uh, I was just to say, you know, the, I think the biggest worry for me is is uh, when technology falls in the wrong hands, but that's, that's kind of a separate issue. But I think Andrew, uh, if he has a way to narrow down the conversation, that would be great. Well, I, I did narrow it down. I'll narrow it down again, if you like. Look, I'm happy to use whatever narrowing the group agrees to, but my point is that whatever narrowing we use in order to further the conversation, um, we are we are narrowing it specifically so that we can answer a question, yes or no, uh, when when it's applied to big tech in general is not a yes. Or, uh, is but not a I yes did narrow it several and, times. And, I'll be well, glad to narrow it again. At the if, beginning. Well, you didn't actually at the beginning. Well, no, I, uh, I did. And, was, and, I, and once again, I'll be glad to narrow it again. It's this it's the same. Uh, it's the same group of technology companies that repeatedly uh, are in front of uh, congressional committees uh, that, that are... Teddy knows exactly who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about. This is a, David, it's a not cultural like term. who you're talking about. That wasn't the beginning of the question. As I said, we, we're all happy to use a narrowed list. The list wasn't narrow. But no one seems to be happy using the narrowed list that I've given. I'm happy. You, you keep complaining that it's that big tech is bigger than that, and this conversation isn't. Uh, Matthew, <laughs> you, you, you at least know you know what I'm talking about when I talk about big tech. Yes, I do. But only because you're using what's 
what the public viewers big tech you know like right. darren i work in technology so for me there's companies that the public don't know about which i think belong in in the big fish pond you know companies like oracle uh, right i look i'm a uh, i'm a freelance writer as uh, everyone knows by now and my beat is technology and i deal with a lot of um enterprise it uh and so i i i write about a lot of things that i don't especially care about uh but that i uh recognize um as as huge technologies but when i talk about big tech i am speaking in a, a socio political cultural sense and to to you know to to fail to understand that is to is to miss the question um yes that's true but the companies on that list change you know when i first started using computers you know, Microsoft wasn't that big a fish. Apple was nowhere to be seen. You know, the big companies to look out for was Lotus One, Two, Three, and WordStar. Where the yeah. hell are they now? No, IBM. You know, we've got new um, companies. Uh, yeah, IBM. Absolutely. There was a there was another fruit based company called Apricot that made loads of computers yeah. that was probably more wealthy than than Apple was at the time. Right. And, and, and if we were if we were speaking in that in that time context those would be the companies that we would be thinking about. Yeah. And so the, the question can be applied to other companies as long as you understand the category that I'm talking yeah. about. And it's still the same valid question because it's the question that politicians are asking today, which is, do these companies have too much power? Should they be um, uh, downsized and regulated uh, and put under control, not even because they've done anything illegal, but because they simply wield too much power that because we've, we've started this podcast by talking about how important technology is. Well, uh, politicians understand that too. It's vitally important. And so you can, you can try to frame laws around whether companies have done something illegal or not. But at some point, I think the conversation is these guys are too big and they hold something that's too important and we can't allow it to be held by a handful of companies. Uh, we simply have to regulate it. And so, uh, whereas I don't think that technology companies uh, have too much power, I do understand the fear. The, the fear of David, it makes I... perfect sense to me. Can I jump in for a sec? Yeah, yeah. I, when have you ever asked to jump in? Well, it was sort of Matthew's turn, and I, I wasn't sure. Anyway, it's time for everything, um, guys. Matthew's yeah. Matthew's a big boy. He can he, <laughs> he, can, he can jump in. So, um, I think that it's important that we make a very critical distinction between a company being really big versus a company that is engaging in anti-competitive practices where they try to do um, like, uh, you know, like um, the Rockefellers did, uh, you know, trying to, to squash and crush the competition. For example, we see that with 
Amazon, we see that with Facebook, where as soon as there is a competitor, they then will try to um, copy what they're doing, and then they they start talking to the to the uh, competitor, saying, "Oh, you know, um, you kind of need to get on board with, you know, maybe let's work together." And, and then there's this wink and a nod to whereas um, if you don't, you know with us or, or let us buy you out so we get rid of our competition, then, you know, we're just going to uh, crush you or we're going to copy what you're doing. And, and during the congressional hearings with the big five, um, that was one of the things that was brought up, how Facebook would um, kind of threaten, uh, you know, and they, they, they dance around it like every good person who's making a threat usually tends to do, um, but kind of like, you know, do it our way or else, you know, we're going to crush you. And Amazon, you know, they are um, doing things. They have people that, you know, other sellers that sell things through Amazon, yet Amazon's constantly undercutting them with their own products. And, um, and so there's, there's this anti-competitiveness and that's the real problem. It's not just that they're big because you can be big and just because nobody else is out there, that doesn't necessarily give the government a right to step in um, with regulations uh, saying, oh, well, you're so big, you need to start, start selling off some of your assets or- um, sure, but you know, Teddy, isn't that the net effect of being big anyway? Because uh, here, here's another David's razor um, to do with tech. Um, a company uh, that is sufficiently big enough will by its very nature be anti-competitive. There's simply no way that a giant company cannot be anti-competitive or certainly not be accused of being anti-competitive just to act. You know, a, a, an elephant in in a uh, arena of puppies is anti-competitive when he takes a step, and they're um, legally required to be anti-competitive anyways, because the uh, the people making the money have a fiduciary responsibility to their um, to their shareholders to actually make more money. Right. I just I don't think that it's possible to to get to be the size of some of these companies without uh crossing that anti-competitive threshold and so i for me i think it's less about whether they have done anything that's anti-competitive and enough about whether it's a public interest uh, or not so just oh, giving okay. an example but let me let me just give this example uh uh real quick andrew you can jump in um wi-fi uh wi-fi spectrum um who owns who owns air um you know should, should someone patent Wi-Fi and be able to own that. Well, I don't care if they did or technically can. They shouldn't. No one should own the air. No one should own the airwaves uh, for television. No one should own um, touchscreen computing. Um, no one, there, there are some things that I, I don't care if you innovated and, and made it. At some point, it's too much of a public interest for you to own it. 
But if you don't let people enjoy the fruits of their labor and their innovation, then you kind of squash the incentive. I agree, but that's where we get into patents, which I promise we will get to. Oh. Uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cut you off right there because we we are going to have a point of agreement. I'm just trying to set the the extreme edge of this. And I, and David, I, David, but who's going to own it once you take it away from the owner? I mean, who's going to own it after that point? Government. And you trust them? Okay. No. So there's the issue on the table is where is the proper dividing line between competition and anti-competition? So we allow big companies to grow um, by and large because it's uh, because we think that it is good for the people that own the companies and for the people that work for them. It becomes anti-competitive not as a result of their size necessarily, though size certainly plays a large part um, because as they grow, they gain assets and that gives them leverage over smaller competitors. But the question here is not competition, it's anti-competition. When, uh, when does a large controlling force use its controlling force um, directly to stop innovation of other companies? That's actually the problem. And uh, just a, a moment on Wi-Fi. Um, just, because, just because signals operate over the air doesn't mean that they're not signals. And the things that produce those signals, those pieces of equipment that do that job are just as non-trivial as the pieces of equipment that allowed us to connect wires the generation before wireless. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose track of that. Right. And I wasn't we, actually we talking about Wi-Fi when I said it. Uh, what I was I thinking about was but, cell, like cell phone spectrum. Right. I, I understand. So um, I want to speak to that for a second. The reason that we regulate, uh, the reason that we regulate spectrum is because it is possible for one carrier uh, to trample on another carrier's signal. We used to see this in the days of FM radio. And the reason that we allow carriers to buy spectrum, by the way, I don't think this is the best model, but the reason we allow carriers to buy spectrum and to use it exclusively is because if it was a free-for-all, if spectrum was completely open all the time to anybody that wanted to use it, our network simply wouldn't work. We'd have carriers stomping on each other all the time. And it would simply be a race to see who could build the tower with the greatest uh, peak envelope power. Right. And, uh, and just so the system quick. is not great, but we have it for a reason. Right. I, I just wanted to ask you a quick system. question about that uh, because I don't know the answer. The Spectrum, when it's purchased, um, is that time-limited? Uh, the, Not that the, I'm aware. Okay. I don't. I don't think it is. We, when I yeah, owned I think uh, that little wireless company back in 2008, um, we wanted to gain some. We wanted to gain funding to buy a piece of spectrum, uh, so that we didn't have to compete in the public area. There is public spectrum, uh, is the point. Um, but when we were reading through the rules, uh, I didn't see anything that indicated that uh, if you bought Spectrum, it was not in perpetuity. 
And you I think there are some. I, I was just going to say, I think there are some rules along the lines that if you buy it, you have to use it. And if you don't use it, then you can lose yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's probably what I was uh, thinking in terms of. So, um, yeah, in keeping with my socialist theme, I do think that um, there are some technologies uh, that are so vital. Uh, they can either be taken over or, or heavily regulated. And I think that our option, the option that we choose as people as well, will regulate it. And what is a regulation if not a government takeover? Uh, because it's, it's the government making rules about a thing that they didn't make. Um, they didn't make it, they don't own it, but they're gonna make rules over it anyway, uh, because they've decided that it is simply too much in the public interest to let a company do anything they want to with a thing they have. Um, and I, I think the same would happen with an individual. Uh, Matt, if you built a time machine um, and your government knew about it, how long would it be before they owned the time machine? <laughs> you're, you're the only person in the world with a time machine. I don't However care long it takes what your company- However long it takes to write a $1 billion check. <laughs> right, no, they, will, they, they might sit, they might, and if you turn it down to hold out money, you will disappear and they will own the time machine. This is this is just the well, they got to catch him first, David, <laughs> and he'll be traveling through time. So yeah, but you, you understand what I'm saying, though. There are some things like, for instance, the cure for if someone came up with a cure for cancer. Um, I'm sorry, we're going to use that. Um, you, you've got a patent on that. That's great. And I think that there are some ways that we can structure patents. Uh, uh, for important things, uh, and if we make it to the patent part of the discussion, um, we can, but I think there is a such thing as public interest and the public interest becomes more important than corporate interest. That, that's the thing though, is like, who's defining public interest and why is their definition any better than the person that owns like it? Like I said, that's what a regulation I mean, steal? The, the regulation is the government declaring that there is a public interest and they therefore uh, plant rules on a thing that they do not own, but they have decided they control. Well, given the, the government's uh, abuse over the years and taking people off their land and so forth and declaring it public interest uh, with eminent domain and so forth, I, I just don't trust them. So I don't trust <laughs> I them either. I don't, so I, I'm with you, but I don't trust companies either. I trust companies less uh, in this case. Um, and so I am. I yeah, am but you fairly, know that, 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 that company owner could be you, David. And I trust me. I, I don't would... trust me either. <laughs> if I <laughs> okay. had a cure for cancer, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to the first million people who want it. And um, if the government <laughs> wants it, they're going to have to take it. Because I don't know that I would have enough public interest in my heart to do the right thing. But, but I hope that the government is powerful enough to do the right thing. Uh, unfortunately, government and doing the right thing uh, don't often go together. And so I, I am somewhat conflicted. But I think if you're, if you're saying, well, the government shouldn't make uh, rules over things it doesn't own, then you're saying it shouldn't regulate things. And we, I think we all agree with government regulation uh, at, at 
to some extent. And big tech is not immune to government regulation. Or at least it should not be immune to government regulation. And it's, I'm, I'm surprised, almost shocked at how little regulation the government has made on technology companies. I think part of the reason is because it's a bunch of old, old men and women in Congress who don't understand modern tech and they don't know uh, what's going on. And now they're blindsided uh, by some of the tech today. And they're like, well, we have to make some rules, but there ought to be a law against that. Well, actually, you're probably right. There probably should be a law against that. And someone savvy enough should have done it 20 years ago. But part of the thing is, David, is that you've, when you're balancing out the free speech issues. Yes, that's where, we're, that's where we're going. So feel free to go there. Yeah. And you got to remember that it's, You've got the whole immunity from liability and from pretty much being sued because they can just get summary judgment. If somebody sues them for something, these, these you know, like you sue Facebook for something. And, um, you know, before you get into proof and stuff like that, you know, they end up saying, oh, we've got immunity from Section 230 of the U.S. Code, and uh, and it gets thrown out on summary judgment without you know having a full um, hearing. And so the the thing is, is that normally, you know, with the First Amendment, we're supposed to let most speech, especially political speech, you know, leave it alone. Um, where, where the state is not trying to infringe upon it. But when the state itself is letting some people um, have that free speech without being checked by the libel and slander laws so that people don't get defamed, because normally when somebody is the speaker of something or the writer of something, you know, there is an important thing about truth. And, um, and of course, truth is always a defense to a defamation claim. Uh, but, and so that kind of holds people somewhat in check about being very careful about lying about others. Not that it doesn't happen, but, you know, at least there's a check there. But, um, but through section 230, They've been given immunity from that. And so, so let's talk to 30. Um, let's talk to 30 for a moment. Uh, Andrew, uh, I'll, I'll put you and Darren together. Uh, together, come up with a brief explainer for Section 230 that um, that people will understand. I hope I did not choose the wrong people. Because Darren, do you want to start? I know that you guys can yeah. go off on this. <laughs> It's actually really, it's actually really simple. Uh, 230 basically treats uh, companies that host information like a utility. So you don't, you don't sue um, AT&T um, because someone is sending, um, you know, libel, libelous uh, information over their, their wires. Um, and so basically it just treats, um, people that host information like search engines and um, a lot of the social media companies as telephone cables rather than um, as people that are actually responsible for what goes over that uh, telephone cable. Andrew, right. how, do you, um, how do you add to that? 
Yeah, yeah, just just one analogy potentially. So the U.S. Mail Service, um, if if someone sends you unwanted advertisement in the mail, uh, by the way, it happens to me all the time. I get chunk mail, uh, and and I despise it, right? But it's not the in some sense it's not the post office uh, that is causing the problem. And as long as those advertisements are in envelopes, it's not their responsibility, right? So if we imagine a, a world without Section 230 um, it, uh, and, and using the post office analogy, um, what would happen without 230 uh, is if you made the carrier responsible for all of the content that, that people posted, um, the, the carrier, or, or in this case, somebody like Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, they, the, the lockdown would become instant. You, you think we have something like free speech now, and we do. But if you make Facebook responsible, they have to open all your mail. Twitter has to read all your tweets. And the moment, the moment you get rid of 230, it is like making the post office responsible for opening every envelope. First of all, post office can't have enough employees to do that. Well, at least don't think they can. Seems, seems economically unlikely. Um, but how many of us actually would want the post office to open all of our mail? I, I don't think any of us would. And the truth is, I don't think we want 230 to be eliminated because I don't think we want Twitter or Facebook making a call about everything that we say. So before going on about whether uh, 230 is a good or bad idea, Matthew, you live in a country that doesn't have a 230. Is there a, uh, an equivalent to the Digital Millennium Act? Probably. I wouldn't know what it is or or how to quote it, but I would expect so. Did did, did the explainers that Darren and Andrew give uh, make it clear to you what two hundred and thirty is? Yes, I think I understand it. Yeah, I, I'm vaguely familiar with some of the the highlights. Okay, so uh, you should let Katie, Aaron argue with what I said, David, because he may understand two hundred and thirty better than I do. You'll you'll have his chance. <laughs> <laughs> I, Look, when I, when I ask you and Darren to specifically say something about something particularly nerdy, I'm going to keep a very tight leash <laughs> brick in case I need to brick you because so, <laughs> I know, totally I know that you can get carried away. So Teddy, you uh, brought up uh, 230. It's also in the notes. So I, I uh, wanted you to uh, go ahead and continue with uh, Russell. Did you have anything to add on 230? Uh, okay. Um, so Teddy, uh, yeah, all of this does have to do with 230 and free speech as we're winding our way around. Uh, I personally see 230, uh, removing 230 as a problem for free speech without at least one of my radical suggestions, uh, which I will be happy to make again later. But, um, so talk to me, uh, what, what do you see as 230 and why do you want it, uh, repealed? I don't want it repealed. Uh, I want there to be some amendments to it in order 
to be sure that the whole spirit of 230 is upheld because when it when it was passed and when these um, platforms were given this immunity from liability and uh, from you know being fully sued in terms of going through the whole process uh, as opposed to getting something just squashed at summary judgment or like right at the beginning of the lawsuit saying hey we've got liability and throw it out and that's it because they don't have to spend much money on lawyers when uh, they can just get rid of it so quickly. Um, the, the whole spirit of 230 in giving that liability was because it was seen that, um, that it was going to be a, fr a free speech platform and it was done to encourage free speech. And so when uh, these platforms start uh, controlling content, no, no part of with the Communications Decency Act, which that's what 230 is all about, um, they do give the people that are in charge of the platform uh, the ability, and they want them to be able to have some degree of control over what's going on in terms of um, on that platform. So, for example, if uh, if there's if somebody's doing something like trying to traffic humans. And actually that is not immune from liability. There are certain things like copyright infringement, human trafficking, and um, breaking federal laws. And those are not immune uh, from uh, being, you know, from being sued. They're not immune from being sued for those things. Everything else they are. But, um, but the thing is, is that, for example, they can control harassment. If, some, if somebody is harassing someone else on Facebook, that person could be banned. Um, if somebody is engaging in certain types of hate speech, then in certain situations, it depends on- Who defines, who defines hate speech and harassment? Well, it, it, to a certain degree, it's the, the people that have the platform. But here's the thing, there's a good faith requirement that they are um, going to give a certain set of standards uh, like a user agreement and that people then will see what the user agreement is. Do they agree to it? Not that anybody reads any of that stuff, but anyway, um, but, but that it's not going to just be arbitrary. Well, so why can't it, it be? Why can't it be arbitrary? Well, because that is then going to inhibit free speech. So if you say but, but, that, but, but, well, um, one step at a time, um, yeah. you, you mentioned Facebook in particular. Um, I, I actually think they are somewhat arbitrary, but never mind that. Why can't they be arbitrary from a legal perspective? You, you, you can't just wave a banner that says free speech because that's not a law. Is there any law that says that Facebook has to be fair in their moderation? Well, I don't, and, and that's actually one of the interesting things about 230 as it is right now. I don't think that technically there is anything. And so that's one of the reasons why the Republicans want to see some amendments put into it to fine tune it. 
Um, but Facebook has repeatedly said that they are trying, they, they promote themselves as being a free I don't care whether, they, I don't, I don't care, care about that. I don't care what they say they're doing. Let's assume that all social media companies are lying. Hell, we can talk about skeptics and seekers. We don't even need to talk about Facebook. Uh, guess what? Um, skeptics and seekers is moderated by me, Russell, uh, 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 Wallace, uh, and, uh, and Brian, uh, with a, with a Y and you know how we moderate, however the hell we want to, that's how we moderate. Um, now the fact is, uh, anyone who is on the boards, uh, and has been on for a long time knows we don't actually moderate anything. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't actually do anything. Uh, we are the world's worst moderators. But we have the power to do it, and we could do it just because I don't like the color of your shirt. And, and that's not illegal. It's a dick move, but it's not illegal. I don't, I'm, I don't have to be fair. And I don't know, actually, to, I don't know to what extent 230 applies to um, smaller groups because obviously skeptics and seekers isn't the size of Facebook and it well, it's it wouldn't apply to it wouldn't apply to us any differently uh, in principle I don't I don't yeah size doesn't matter for 230 okay. yeah because um, Katie I posted in the chat if you want to I posted 230 in the chat if you want to read it while we're talking, because you'll have better insight into the language. I've anyway. seen it, and it, you know, they talk about what is it, internet service providers, because there's the uh, interactive computer service provider, and then versus an information content provider. And it's questionable because with skeptics and seekers, you know, David obviously always puts out a big blog um, in his opinion. So I provide content. I put some of its news. We put a lot of news in the forums. Right. So there's a, but the difference between uh, Facebook and skeptics and seekers, well, there's a bunch of differences, but here's an important one. Um, the, the forums that Skeptics and Seekers uses uh, are, are actually a DISCUSS technology, D-I-S-Q-U-S, DISCUSS. And while those boards are linked through a, uh, through a Squarespace widget to the bottom of David's uh, writing, whatever, uh, whatever blog is we're talking about at the moment, um, David provides mm -hmm. the blog content. But beyond that, the forums mm -hmm. are not in any real sense provided by skeptics and seekers, except to the extent that they're linked to the page. But the, right. So that one other technology is provided by another company. Right. So one other one other thing to add to that, though, because that's that's only partially true. It's true that it, it's not uh, skeptics and seekers platform, but it is true that we set our own moderation rules through discuss. So within the discuss panel is our ability to set uh, moderation. Uh, now there is moderation that discuss can do that has nothing to do with us. And so uh, discuss, for instance, could remove a, a user from their system for whatever reasons that they do. And I, I would not be able to put them back. Um, right. And they do so, have some moderation technology 
Right. So it's pretty light. But as far as us being able to then take put on top of whatever discusses rules are our own sense of moderation, we can do that all day. Mm-hmm. And we do. <laughs> so I think Teddy and Darren are uh, both hitting on a, a critical problem, though. Teddy pointed out that skeptics and seekers is, is not nearly so big as Facebook. I think that's true. Darren said 230 doesn't care uh, about science. Also true. But aren't we all asking whether 230 should care? Because there's a difference between um, Ranger Telecom. Uh, it's, a, it's a little company in a place called Wetumpka, uh, Alabama. You don't have to care about it. The point is it's tiny. What Ranger Communications does with that local phone company that, that affects a couple thousand people is not at all like what AT&T does with, with a much broader set of users. Now, I'm not saying that Ranger can't do something egregious. It can. But if it does, the level of egregiousness is far different from if AT&T did something equally egregious. But now the the key thing though with 230 is we want to, to keep liability just as low as possible because the objective is free speech. And that is in the legislative history of 230. I mean, that's the whole point because they know that if, for example, David, let's just ask you, if you were responsible for all of the stuff that was said on skeptics and seekers. I would ban uh, you immediately. I, I mean, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I would have no choice. I would have to ban you. I, and I, I, would, I would ban uh, someone else that I like a lot. I would ban, um, I, I won't. <laughs> no, yes, I will. Uh, Vic, Vic Ruiz, uh, who I like a lot, I would have to ban uh, for, for some of the same reasons. I would have had to ban Tara a long time ago for content. In terms of for legal liability or because you don't like what we say? No, nothing to do with what do you say. It would be completely about legal liability for things like uh, COVID and masks and uh, things of that nature. I might suffer some liability for things like um, uh, what what many on the left, uh, including me, would call the Trump's big lie of election fraud. That's still, well under the Biden administration. Given all the weird stuff he's trying to pass through, with well, not pass. Well, but, but I'm just I'm just saying I would I would have to evaluate each of those things and my liability against them. And people who said things like the kinds of things that you guys say, you wouldn't be able to say. Now you yeah, can say it today. Because Understood. I'm not responsible for what you said. Which, you know, that's probably not going to be around very, he's probably not going to be around very long. But, but do you understand? I can, I can allow all of that because I'm not responsible for what you say. Not but the good. moment you remove 230 and I am responsible, probably half the people who comment on Skeptics and Seekers get an automatic ban because I wouldn't be able to control them. Right. And that is the whole purpose of 230 because it wants to facilitate the exchange of ideas because that is the best opportunity 
opportunity of finding but truth. But I no would be liable for, for, for instance, that wrong COVID information that someone gave, uh, anti-vax information that someone, I would be responsible I haven't given anything like that. I'm I'm pro-masks and all of that. I don't know where you're Isn't there a, you've, you've read the boards. You you know that there are many conversations that simply wouldn't yeah, yeah, but, I mean, to go you were kind of making it sound like I was one of those. And I, I well, no, I would ban oh. you for a different reason. Yeah, isn't there a more important issue with 230? Um, one of the principles of free speech, it seems to me, uh, maybe, maybe not quite written down this way, uh, is that I can't be made responsible for something that someone else says. And, and it seems like that should be true uh, even without 230. That's not a principle of free speech at all. Uh, the free speech principles is, are, are just that you ought to be able to express yourself and that it's your God-given right. Um, yeah, I think we're going to have to disagree because if you could suddenly make me responsible for what you said, I wouldn't have free speech. Right. Um, and also, the, putting aside the God-given right um, but that is that is what the framers intended. Well, it's really putting 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 aside the God-given right um, IED that you threw in there, we're not going to let that explode. Um, I I would Party say did. that that free speech, even if we understood it the way that you uh, are suggesting it, does not require um, free audience. So uh, you can. You can say politically what you want to say, but you don't have access to every audience. You can't walk into a, a, a mosque and speak anti-Muslim propaganda. You you can get arrested, and you should. I can. I mean, you uh, no, you can. I, I'm not aware of any law saying that I can't go into a mosque. If, if they tell you, to, no, you are being disruptive, no. you need to... They can. They can well, have you. On if you were breaching the peace, they can. <laughs> they can have you dragged out in cuffs, and I would love to see it. Um, <laughs> but that said, uh, if, if a Muslim went into a church and started to peacefully, based on the based on the rules of the church, even the members of the congregation cannot peacefully disagree with the preacher while he's preaching and disrupt the service. The deacons would uh, escort them to the door. Yeah, you it, do. You do not have freedom of audience. You can't, for instance, just get access to Twitter's audience because you want it. First of all, you've got to sign up uh, according to the rules of Twitter, and you've got to agree to the rules of Twitter, and then Twitter will let you speak as long as they decide not to ban you. It depends and, on if you're in a public space or not. But, but hold, hold on, you, you do not have access to Twitter's space. audience. That's not free speech. No, no, so, I, I agree with you that- okay. And Twitter is not a public space. I, I, I agree with you. Well- it's a little bit of a quasi because of no, it's not. 30, because of the removal of liability, which normally no, it's not. well, it, it kind of is. I'm, no, I'm see, not the problem is, is you're trying to conflate free speech and uh, with two thirty. The only thing that two thirty is uh, does is it uh, controls liability uh, because it categorizes uh, some uh, providers uh, as being. Um, different than 
actual content providers. It has nothing to do with free yeah. speech, even though you're trying to to yeah. uh, shoehorn it in. No, no, no. If you and let me tell you, legally, um, it's always a very important thing to look at the legislative history for different laws, statutes. Yeah, the um, legislative that, history for this one is big tech companies spent a lot of money convincing the uh, the Congress to pass this law. The legislative history said that the whole purpose was to encourage free speech on these platforms because they saw that that the whole social media thing was the way that the pub that that is the new public forum. People let me let me try to let me try to give you some some ground, uh, Teddy, because I think that I think that you would simply lose this argument on the on the facts. But no, but, I won't. but, but no, don't don't try to win it on the facts. Here, I'm, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an area Why where not? we can where we can discuss it. Um, because I don't, I don't think we're ever going to be able to discuss it that way. But I, I think you brought up a more interesting question. Um, we can ask a more interesting question, which is not whether Facebook and Twitter represent uh, the public square, but whether they, they should. That's but what they were trying to do too. They said is, it so this is this is how I, I want to talk about it going forward. Should should social media be regulated? as a public square um, so that oh. people can can speak. Now, what I what I just yeah. what I said last week and everyone jumped on me about and I'm I'm still going to say it again, too, this week is that I think that if the government wants an online public square, they should make uh, public square dot uh, gov and People can go there and they can run their own Twitter, Facebook, social media. Everybody in America can be qualified to have an account for this government social media and the government can moderate it any way that they want to. Let me think that idea very quickly. Under a Biden presidency, how free are conservatives going to be on that government controlled I would so think more free than on Twitter uh, no, if, they, they, if they think they're not, uh, no. because it would be based on government rules. And we have we have there's Republicans and Democrats. That, uh, there's always the hope that, that the people that run Facebook might have more sense than Joe Biden. So um, and there's well, probably look, but there, there will be a Republican president again, maybe yeah, in four years. There will, be a, there will be a Republican Congress yeah. again. I'm just saying that so why, why, why does it matter what the makeup of Congress is if the government has a social media network that had to follow um, constitutional rules the way that you want to regulate uh, these private companies, why wouldn't that be okay? Because power corrupts and, and they're always going to want- Well, then what you're saying is nobody can, nobody can have a social media company, then not even the government. Oh, no, and so, the government they, just getting out yeah. of the way. In, in fact, Andrew, uh, but before you go in, Andrew, uh, Matt, you have just been staring at the camera thinking, and that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, would you say something with an accent, please? I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that this is taking so much time to discuss this, and I'm not sure that you've actually got anywhere where with it. There's, and you, I think the key thing here is not 
who fears prosecution from what? I think there should be a, a, a simple question of who has responsibility and should there be some responsibility and should there be something sensible applied to what is said? And if the answer to that question is yes, then somebody needs to do something. And I don't necessarily care who that is, but if someone's going to do something, it needs to be within a framework. So it makes sense that it is the government. But you know, do we have responsibility? Should somebody hold responsibility for the content that is online? But yes or no? Who fact checks oh. the fact checkers? Go ahead, Andrew. So it seems to me, I think Darren was right that um, private companies can't be um, uh, held responsible unless, and, and this is where I'm going to try to draw a line between you and Darren, something that I think uh, probably appeals to Teddy too. The, the problem with saying Twitter is not public, I, I agree with it, right? If you, if you want to know what's being said on Twitter, you have to follow someone or something like that, right? Um, but the problem is, and the reason we're hashing this out the way we are is that Twitter and Facebook at all act like they are public companies. To, well, sorry, not public companies in the stockholding sense. They act like they are a public service, at least to some degree. And so if you want to have a private space, uh, you've got to treat it like a private space. Seems like there's a some real estate law here. If you if you own a piece of land, uh, even if you pay the taxes on it, if you refuse to keep up the land, uh, it can you know it can be taken back from you. Um, if you are going to act like you are providing a public service, then you have the responsibility. Uh, to treat all sides fairly. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Green Party or not. I don't care. If you are going to build your audience as if you are a public service, and in this case, I mean, anyone can come, they can register for free, that kind of thing, then you are, in fact, to, to some limited degree, just acting like a, a, a come one, come all public service. And Andrew, you were, you've totally hit the nail on the head with that. And, and actually there is um, a term for that that has been um, mentioned by the United States Supreme Court. It's called the public function test. And that was, uh, like I think it was like a 1946 case. Um, hold on, uh, Marsh v. Alabama, there you go. Uh, of course, of course it was Alabama. Yeah, of course. Um, and there was a company town. And in this company town, they were, so the town was owned by a company as opposed to by the state. Uh, and in this company town, there was uh, some sort of a law or regulation that said people could not um, go around talking, you know, trying to uh, hand out religious literature without a permit. And mm. shocking in Alabama. Um, <laughs> and so that they would need a permit, but that's what you get from that company town. Um, but anyway, uh, so the Supreme Court said that, you know, with a company town, even though it's privately owned, 
they are doing so much of what government does with their their towns and functioning in so similar of a way that um they found it to be an infringement of first amendment rights so that you wouldn't right. need a permit to to hand out such literature and so so this whole public uh, function test now and again remember facebook and and some of these other platforms they uh, they were saying that they're they're going to be the the big free speech platform so it's not like they were trying to say something else so so that right but they can change like, their mind can't they because i agree that these can, companies are they, acting they are acting badly as public function okay. uh, yes so i think yeah. we all agree that that's yeah. what they are doing but that's not what they actually are and i think that I if they had just said i agree with you but but then but, what that means I'm sorry, what was that darren I don't think that's their intent either, because you have to uh, sign a user agreement. And I don't know if you've ever been on the uh, um, the side of Facebook just randomly uh, blocking you for however many days because they didn't like what you're posting. But they're not trying to be a free speech uh, public space. Right. Well, I, I would say that in the case of Twitter, anyway, they do, they did, at least more than they do now, talk about um, free speech and uh, non-moderation, things like that, because they want uh, they want to act as a free speech uh, conduit, and I, that's I've always said that that's the wrong language because that's not that's not what they are. Yeah. Look, we're gonna have to cut this. We're gonna have to cut this one uh, Real quick. short. I'll I'll let you have the last word, uh, Teddy. But I'm also gonna throw in the last question, which is in in your um, two thirty free world. Uh, would there be room for um, so specialized social media, say uh, conservatives only social media? And then if you come in uh, speaking leftist nonsense, they ban you. Would there be a uh, room for a leftist only social media company? Or does everything on the Internet that calls itself a social media company have to be open and fair and free? I'm not advocating the elimination of 230. I just think that when they they are well, for whatever you're advocating, same question. Okay, I mean, I I'm not really keen on just a one-way thing. I mean, I think that people should be free to to do that. I I suppose. I I mean, I think people should be free to to associate with who they want, but but don't go asking for immunity for liability. Okay, so in, in your mind, if Twitter did not have immunity for the comments on their site, then it would be okay in your mind that they could ban anyone they wanted to arbitrarily. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, look, that one's, uh, I, I promised you this conversation. I feel like I've delivered you uh, this conversation many times over. Uh, this is going to leave us uh, room for maybe one or two uh Quick topics. There are some things on the list that we're still not going to get to, but this is the end of this uh, show. We're not going to do another week. Um, if uh, just mention the, something really quick that's that's important, okay. and, and that is, and, and that is that, for example, with the parlor situation. So parlor was trying to set up a a whole other social media thing to combat 
what was going on with you know Twitter and Facebook, where people where conservatives could not express themselves. Right, but they were and trying then, to do it on other people's private the networks. Big, the big tech that you were talking about, the big mm-hmm. five, they then just crushed them. Of course, they're back now, but I mean, they did quite a bit of damage, um, and they were they were deplatformed for. I don't know, at least two, three weeks. Sure. And when they piss off Russia, they'll be deplatformed again. So um, I don't, is that really what you want to? What's that got to do with Russia? It it was. I think that's where they're, I think that's who's hosting them now. Yeah, that's where they, the only place they were able to find space. Russia, I didn't know that. That's funny. Wow. It's hilarious, isn't it? (laughs) Parlor is dependent on Russia. yeah, but if you actually go in and why they were uh, knocked off the Amazon uh, servers, um, I don't think any. I don't even think Teddy would disagree with uh, that move. Right, and the fact is, if two thirty were repealed somehow or changed, even in the way that Teddy wants, uh, Amazon would have never allowed them on. They, I mean, they simply couldn't have taken that liability. Uh, it is because of the protection that places like uh, sites like Parler can get on the internet. Um, so th- that said, I think I fulfilled my promise to speak freely on free speech. Uh, you are welcome, Teddy. Um, I want to I jump over to uh, at least one topic. I want to talk about number seven a little bit um, because I think that encompasses a lot of what's left. Um, which is uh, my theory, my personal theory on the minimal unit of humanity uh, as it relates to tech. So what I mean by the minimal unit of humanity is, uh, I mentioned this a little bit last week, it's the lowest level that we will allow a human in society to go um, with, without uh, helping. We just won't let a person go that low. And I think that we need a minimal unit of humanity in a lot of places because I, I think that homelessness, for instance, is a real um, stain on any nation that even pretends to call itself a Christian nation. There should be no homeless people. Um, there, there should always be four walls and a roof or a tent or something that a, that a person without a home can go to. Um, so I think, I think that as we talk about the minimal unit of humanity. Uh, I was also thinking about uh, this in uh, conjunction with the question about uh, technology as public utility, which, which technology should be public utility. So um, I've thought about this a lot and I still don't know that I can say it um, succinctly and intelligently, but I think that the minimum unit of humanity ought to be uh, at the very least a basic level of healthcare. Uh, no one should uh, be turned away from a hospital and no one should have to get a bill um, for, for uh, basic, basic health needs. I, I think that we can do that and we should do that. I believe that uh, technology speaking, uh, everyone should have uh, Wi-Fi. Um, you know, every, everyone with a, in a boat, including the uh, homeless shelters that I uh, uh, and envisioning they should have Wi-Fi. And, and right now, the government I- in the U.S. is debating um, how to uh, increase uh, our what we call broadband uh, in this country. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to increase that definition, and it should be increased. And everyone should have 
that because I believe that so much of society now uh, is just dependent on the internet. It is very hard to get a job, just a, jo a job at McDonald's uh, without uh, the internet. You walk into McDonald's and you say they want a job and they say now hiring, they will refer you to their website. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think that that is a part of the minimal unit of humanity. I think that electricity is a part of the minimal unit of humanity. And the way that would work uh, in every apartment, in every home, there would be uh, three or four plugs labeled, um, you know, uh, always on. And, you know, you put one for the refrigerator, one for the oven, uh, one for the heating unit, uh, the air conditioning, and these plugs will always work. They will always work. And if you want the rest of your plugs uh, to work, then, you know, pay your damn bill. But there should, there should never be um, a situation when someone can't pay their electricity bill and their breathing machine uh, doesn't work. Um, so I, I think that power is a part of the minimal humanity that I'm thinking about. I think that access to a computer is a part of minimal humanity. And even if every work person can't own their computer, every person should have, whether they have ID or not, whether they have an address or not, should be able to walk into any library uh, or any shelter or any and use a public computer. They should have access to that in the same way that they should have access to public telephones with pre free long distance. Bring back all of the phone booths or whatever you need to do and make sure that people can make a call um, and not have to pay for it. This, this is stuff that technology allows today. It's easy. A lot of it is um, things that I think that we can afford. And some of this technology should have been considered a public utility a long time ago and uh, a human right uh, as a part of what it means to be human in a society in, uh, in a developed world. Uh, so again, wearing my socialist hat, this is, this is, uh, so am I thinking about the minimal unit of humanity as it relates to technology, David Russell, you've been way too quiet. Um, uh, you are next. I think there's loads of problems with, uh, your, your speech there, but I, I think there's too many problems to address and how we get that done. Uh, mainly sure. in that pick sense, up, why pick I up the that. first, pick up the first, the biggest problem that you see. Well, I don't know where you draw the line when it comes to doctors and healthcare, right? So if I'm a doctor, how am I going to get paid? Uh, how much am I paying in taxes for all these programs? You know, uh, am I taxes will go oh, up and doctors yeah. will be like public defenders. There will be public uh, doctors as well. Not all doctors. So will if, be I refuse, doctors. If, if I refuse, if I refuse, do I get conscripted? Once again, I think that in the same oh, way we refuse. have public defenders, I think that well, we can I, have a system of public doctors too. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I just think there's so much there. I, like I said, I, I would have to say it's a, it's a nice thought, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Okay. But, but your biggest problem with it is you don't see how we pay for it. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't see how we okay, pay but for if, it. I don't but if see we could, you would agree. Oh, of course. I would okay. love a utopia. There, therefore, <laughs> I would love a, a, a system uh, where everybody's taken care of. Okay. We're the only so, first world country that doesn't have universal health care. Right. So what, you, what you're saying is you agree with the minimal uh, unit humanity uh, concept. You just need uh, convincing about the implementation. That's fine. Absolutely. But yeah. I think if we all agreed on it, we would figure out implementation. The reason we're not working on implementation is because uh, we don't have agreement that it's something that needs to be done. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can see what you're saying, but uh, you know, I would love a Star Trek world, man. You know, if we could, if we could do all that, we could start working on warp drive and transporters. It's not that impossible. Traffic. It's easier than you than you believe, honestly. But with what David proposed, by the way, I don't have a problem with what David proposed. I think we do, uh, we do have a responsibility to raise the level of concern that we have about the most disadvantaged among us. So I'm not complaining about uh, David's thesis, but there is a real cost to everything that David proposed. So let's, let's go through what they were. Um, universal healthcare, some level of universal housing, some level of universal electricity, some level of universal device access, some level of universal internet, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but David Russell is right to point out that these costs, as you add them up, are non-trivial. Well, the cost for healthcare for the individual would actually go down under universal healthcare because right now, healthcare costs are between, what is it, like 400 and 2,000 a month for households. So even if, uh, so even if your taxes went up one or two hundred dollars a month, um, you would still see a huge net gain um, from the individual on universal health care. Um, as far as uh, all the other stuff, given how much the U.S. pays uh, for the military every year, you could easily implement everything David said with maybe three or four percent of the military budget i mean it's the cost is high but i don't know given, if that's true or not are you are you sure about those numbers i that seems uh well what yeah, i've seen arguments was- going both ways like i see what darren's saying uh but i also see i've also read a lot of articles against what he's saying too so i mean i don't have them in front of me so i can't even quote them and i won't even try because <laughs> you know i would take some digging but uh yeah, I mean, not not here right now. I don't have any uh, arguments, but I've seen both ways. I just want to put that out. Right, and I just want to make clear that I don't have a plan for implementation. I'm not the government. I'm not the president. No one's made me hegemon. I do um, actually have a plan. Okay, uh, great. Because yeah. I, um, it, 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 it has to do. Yeah, it has to do with Vulcans arriving and making first contact. Okay, no. So, uh, Teddy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> minimal minimal uh, unit of humanity thoughts. We have that. We have a thing called Medicaid in this country, and so people who um, who are falling through the cracks in society do get government paid health care. We have public housing. We have food stamps. Um, so let's not act as if we don't have these and and every good society needs to um, both through the government to ensure that those people who are falling through the cracks. I mean, there's some people who will for no 
you know, fault of their own, be unable through disabilities, things like that, be unable to take care of their basic needs. And so the government, a good government does provide for those people. But there were also people who through just unfortunate circumstances in life are going to fall through the cracks. And the government needs to be and provide a safety net for them as well. And we do. Um, but to, to subvert the system that, that we've had for all of these years, pre-Obamacare, um, is not a good idea. Look at the VA and how well that goes and how well that works out for our veterans. I mean, the, the people that are most deserving of the very best health care, the ones who put their lives on the line for our freedom and to keep us safe and they get crappy health care. I mean, that is a just a, a, a big black spot so, on so Teddy, just, just for the sake of um, uh, brevity, I'm, I'm just going to cut in. I do understand what you're saying, but I think that uh, to point to the services that the U.S. has is to maybe fail to understand fully the services that the U.S. Um, has. I have been, uh, I've been on food stamps. I've been on welfare. I've been on um, uh, Medicaid. Uh, I was dirt poor. Uh, I, I fought myself out of those things. And now uh, I'm a man with a microphone that lights up red. Um, so what I'm, <laughs> so there, there is, there, there is a path out and through, but I can tell you right now, uh, public housing, just to give you an example, it is so hard to get into public housing. Uh, it's it's almost impossible. Uh, if This is why there's so many people who are homeless. It's, it's, ex it's extremely difficult and it's extremely limited. Uh, and I think that implemented the way it is, it's, it's extremely bad. Uh, getting onto services like welfare and um, uh, food stamps and Medicaid is is very hard to do. It's not just a matter of oh you're poor uh, uh, here uh, fill out this form and go get this food. That's not how it works in the in the real world at all. Um, and so I think I think we have this the fact that we have those programs does not in fact give us cover to say oh so we're doing so well. Um, with um, with taking care of poor people, we are not, uh, and I think that um, let's go and reform that. And and part of the reform, part of the reform, David. Um, and I know I'm about to throw a grenade in here, Eddie. Before you do that, like, I'm just going to say I got a hard break, so it was good talking to okay. all you guys again. Yeah. You guys got to uh, uh, have a good day. We and we have, have made it to the two-hour mark, so if anyone uh, does want to uh, do, they can. But I uh, So I will say for the audience's sake, because this is the last week we're going to talk about this, I am going to stay on <laughs> and continue talking to uh, until the last person drops. And if there's more <laughs> to be said, I will say it solo. <laughs> so um, for... Uh, for those who do have to go, just let me let me know. You know, five minutes before you go, and you can uh, have have your something. Okay, fair, fair. Um, okay, but the, uh, look, that was uh, I only wanted to say uh, about the minimal um, 
uh, unit of humanity. I, I wanted to put that point out there and not so much talk about the implementation of how it works, because uh, I think there are some countries that come very close uh, to the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So it, it is possible. Uh, and we have a bigger country. We have, we have more people. Uh, I, we, we have a very aggressive system of capitalism. I know there are a lot of differences, uh, but the first step is agreement in principle that we need to that we need to start thinking about humanity in a very different way. The second step uh, is to start thinking about how to do it. That's that's not the first step. The first step is never to figure out how you're going to do it. We didn't we didn't dis, we didn't figure out how we were going to go to space before we decided that we were going to go to space. And and we don't need to figure out how we're going to uh, fund our minimal unit of humanity. Um, until we decide that we want to do it. And that's, that's the thing that I want to start building. David, mm -hmm. what, oh, is it? Go, go ahead, you, you've got the last word unless Darren wants it. I'll, um, the grenade that I was gonna throw in is that we have to look at, okay, you were talking about how public housing and things like that aren't working very well. I'm not in disagreement with you. And does reform need to happen? Yes, it does. And, and part of what also needs to happen is a change in circumstances to where we don't have a permanent underclass in this country where it's not easy for public housing and David I want to commend you with with what you were saying about having been on food stamps and on welfare and look at you now right and and that's that's America you know where people can go from from you know having real struggles financially and and then you know having your own successful podcast and you know having people like us on it <laughs> Which may argue against whether it's actually successful. But that's it. But in all seriousness, but but I mean that is the beauty of America. And you talk about these other countries that seem to come closer to what you were talking about. People don't seek to emigrate to those countries; they seek to emigrate here. And that is because we. I mean, this is the land of rags to riches and, you know, the, the stories abound. They do. Yeah, pe they people do. people never go to other countries. That's why <laughs> that's, we had, that's why a wall was being built. And that's why people are flooding, trying to, to come here. Um, yeah, it's the people, people immigrate to other countries, Teddy. Um, <laughs> where, where, where are they going? They're all coming. They, they want here. Now, some, some I, people. I know, I know at least three people personally who uh, moved to uh, Britain. But they probably were in Europe and didn't want to be too far away from their family in Europe. The, these were Americans born in America who moved to Britain. Uh, I know three people personally. Well, those might be the wackadoo. Oh, oh. Careful. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like I'm. I'm. If Trump gets elected, no, no, granted, I'm going to. It was before Trump Brexit. Up. 
So uh, I, I don't I'm know not saying Britain is a bad thing, place. I'm saying that, you know, doing the whole thing of, oh, if Trump gets elected or if Bush gets elected, I'm, you know, leaving the country. That's what I'm talking about. So, yeah. So moving moving on, I want to touch on this one while we still have a, a couple of people uh, on the panel and then the audience. The digital divide. Uh, this is something that uh, people used to talk about, oh, maybe 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago. And I don't hear very much about it now. What to, What is meant by the digital divide? It's um, really a race thing, but also a class thing. It's to say that uh, only the um, fortunate had uh, access to uh, a higher standard of technology. And uh, on the other side of the tracks, those people didn't have uh, access to technology. And therefore, without access to technology, they also... Uh, were locked out of many opportunities. Uh, and people were saying this, like I said, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and so I just wanted to uh, check in. Uh, do we still have a digital divide today? Is that is that still a thing? Um, have, have we moved yes. on from that? Are we, are we all equal now? Um, no. <laughs> no. Go ahead. No, we're not equal. And yes, it, it does still exist. And um, you brought me up sharp last week, David, when you mentioned that the digital divide also goes across uh, colour and race, because when I drew down the list of, of things where the digital divide exists, I had gender and I had welfare um, and I had um, uh, education, but I didn't write, uh, write down race. And uh, unfortunately, that was my um, white privilege showing through. There is uh, race on the digital divide as well, but it exists in so many areas and uh, we need to do more to address that. And I think the most effective way of doing more to address that is by making sure that people are represented in the decision makers from all, all aspects of, from people on both sides of every type of divide that there is. And um, that's certainly the first step that needs to be made, but yeah, absolutely. The digital divide exists. I look around my house, I'm worked in, technology all my life I'm familiar with technology and while I'm certainly not wealthy I'm not poor either and so every person in my household has got multiple electronic devices for communication either a laptop or a desktop as well as a smartphone and and others and we all are familiar and we know how to use them and because I'm te technically savvy I've made sure that everybody in my household is familiar with them there are friends that my daughter has at school who have not got any of that. They haven't got the financial ability to buy as many devices and they haven't got the technical know-how to ensure that everybody in their household is. And they just have to muddle along and do the best they can. They end up in all sorts of trouble. I've had phone calls from, from friends saying, we've got real problems with our computer. We have no idea what to do it. Can you help? And I say, yeah, sure. And I provide that, but they can only come to me for that free help because they know me or they have a contact who knows me. And these divides exist, and these divides exist far more prevalently than we realize. I don't know what the full answer is to knowing that, but we need to make technology accessible. And one of my pet peeves about technology is technology is too often designed by the geeks and Geeks should be barred from uh, creating human interfaces because they do it the, the way that works for them, which is not the right way to do it. We need people who are familiar. We need 
for example, one of the car companies, Nissan, I think it was, one of their most popular cars, the reason why it's popular is they got women in to be part of the design process for the car, and they ended up with a better car. So we need people from all aspects of society who are involved in designing and creating these technologies, and the geeks just need to do what they're told to deliver what the, the broader spectrum have decided works better for everybody. And that is how we move our technology forward and make it accessible. 20 years ago, I once used to say that people should have a license to own technology because technology should not be in the hands of people who don't know how to use it. I, I no longer shamefully. I, yeah. And I no longer subscribe to that, that view. That view it does not belong in today's world. Technology should be designed for the people. So I, I just held up my uh, keyboard uh, there. Uh, I was going to point out a few, but th th this keyboard is loaded with keys that the average person will never press. <laughs> they have no idea what it is, and we're used to typing around them. Uh, this was designed by geeks because there are things that uh, programmers use <laughs> that uh, average people don't use. And I personally think we should have a programmer keyboard <laughs> and let them let them festoon it with all the buttons they want to. Uh, but may a, uh, may a human being, a normal human being that doesn't have the uh, developer implant ever have to see an ellipsis key? What the, what, what, what the hell is an ellipsis key? Nobody knows what that is. Nobody uses that. That's not a, if we use it in conjunction with something how some geek told us if we do this and this combination will happen. This is not a real <laughs> uh, it's not a real letter. Um, we have brackets and braces. You know what these are used for? They're used in programming. Yeah, I use them because I write um, a, a um, simplified form of, uh, of uh, markup. Uh, that's why I uh, write. I write in Markdown. Um, and so I use, uh, I use um, brackets, not the braces. I still don't know what those things are for those are the curly things that if you shift the brackets you get what uh we've got forward slashes and backslashes i understand a slash decide on a slash why do we have these things they're not for us that's <laughs> this is this is why we have them there's a lot on a on a standard keyboard you know um on a windows uh keyboard uh home home screen is that key still on the keyboards you you wouldn't know Matthew, yeah. But, yeah yeah what's that for Nobody knows. Um, nobody's ever going to use that. Um, this is this is um, human interface uh, designed for people that weren't people. Uh, and so the the base, the very basic thing that you were just saying, uh, Matthew, can be found on the keyboard that you use to to type right now. And I do think that that is part of what makes technology uh, less approachable. It just, it just wasn't made for people. Uh, it's, it's something that people have to try to figure out and learn um, as opposed to it being something that's naturally for them. Darren, you've been quiet. What, what are your thoughts on the digital divide I need and the ellipsis key? Go, sorry, so I'm gonna give my apologies. Sorry for the short notice, but I really need to go. No problem, we've, uh, we've enjoyed yeah. it. Bye. Darren, uh, your thoughts on the ellipsis key? I'm sorry, the digital design. Um, well, I don't know about you, but my mom's a writer, so she uses the ellipsis key all the time. Um, 
Bill Barr used it a lot to uh, make sure that the not in whatever statement he was uh, quoting uh, to make the, uh, uh, was well used. Um, as far as the digital divide, I don't know. Um, I've never really done any serious inquiry into it. But just from looking on the outside, it looks like it's mostly economics. So anything that the economics um, uh, touches, whether that's uh, race and gender or geography, um, that seems to be the sort of the central theme of that particular problem. And I think if um, we fix that, then a lot of the other problems will be fixed in sort of a ripple effect out from that. I think age too. Was it Andrew that had mentioned age? Yeah, I um, I, I slightly disagree uh, with that though. I don't I don't think that technology is. I don't think there's a huge. It's, it's, I don't think it's as huge of an age divide um, as all of that. Um, Plus, think, that's a self-correcting problem. I think um, socioeconomic class has more to do with it than age. So there are a lot of 70-year-old uh, people who are pretty well off and well-educated who are very competent with computers. You know, they, they FaceTime with their kids. They, um, you know, they, they maybe uh, use social media. Uh, they're, they're using technology quite a bit. I think it might be perhaps those who are older but also have a higher education. I think it's that combination where you don't see the di digital divide. But I, I have seen where when people are older and don't have um, a whole lot of education, where some people just don't even want to, to try. They, they just get so intimidated by it that they don't even want to try. And I've, yeah, I've and seen I, that. I, I do think that the digital divide is not just a race thing, which I, um, but I, I, when it's spoken of, it's usually spoken of in terms of race, at least it was at the time when people were um, using the term. And I also think it was fairly accurate. I think that um, if you, um, you know, look at the technology that people had access to, there was a, there was a very different technology stack uh, in the houses of white people as opposed to the houses of black people. But I, I think it's much broader than that. It's too, it, it oversimplifies it to make it simply it, a matter of race. Was it really race, David, or was it economics? I think it well, was Well, economics. economics is race. Um, no, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, it can be. And if you look at the 1950s before LBJ's Great Society, there wasn't that big divide between um, African-American households and white households. Um, and then when we see once the welfare state came in and that's what brought about the decline and that also started to help unravel. I mean, Actually, in the 1950s, you had a higher rate of um, couples staying married. I think I've, I've heard in the in the black in black households, they had a higher rate of staying together than in white. So and I'm going to I'm going to pass on the bait um, there, and I, I assure you that there's a part of me that would uh, love to engage <laughs> with that, but not a big enough part. Uh, so. 
for our purposes, let's jump to number 10, which I think is the last thing that we really haven't covered. Um, and so, Darren, I'm glad that you're here for this piece of the discussion. Andrew wanted to be, but um, this was at the end of the list. Patents. Um, technology patents in particular. Um, let me set this up uh, very simply. I think our, our patent system is broken. Uh, a patent is basically a right of exclusivity on uh, an innovation for a temporary period of time. That is, that is a patent. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the, the patent law is so badly written and so broad and so poorly implemented uh, that we have a situation now that I'm, I'm not even sure what patents are for anymore. I, I think patents are only for lawyers um, because we have we have a thing called patent trolls. Darren, I'm sure you have some thoughts about patent trolls, so I'll uh, make sure you, that you speak next. A patent troll is basically a person who uh, buys a patent. They, they don't have to buy it. They could uh, file a patent themselves, but usually these patent holding companies buy up portfolios full of patents. Furthermore, I think it's interesting that companies build portfolios full of patents uh, that they don't use. Uh, th this is another part of the patent process. Um, I believe that if you are awarded a patent, it should be something that you have to use within a period of time. You should not have a portfolio of sleeper uh, patents laying around like minefields. So what these patent trolls do, they, uh, they buy up uh, these portfolios of patents. They move to East Texas because um, that's where all the patent lawsuits happen. Um, and they don't, uh, they don't start off right away when a company does something and it quote unquote violates one of their patents. They don't say, um, you know, they're, they're not especially interested in, in it at that point, unless the company is really big. What they want to to happen is for the company to make a product that is really successful. And then they file a lawsuit saying, yeah, that violates one of our patents and they owe us a bazillion dollars because they need to first see that the patent can make a bazillion dollars. And then they, uh, they raise their hand and say, yeah, that's mine. Uh, and their ultimate end goal besides a big check for a bazillion dollars is to get uh, licensing rights and perpetuity for uh, whatever the thing is. This is patent trolling. Uh, it is despicable. It is legal. Um, and so once again, this is why I say patents are really for lawyers. They have nothing to do with innovators. They have nothing to do with uh, time-limited um, periods of um, exclusivity on one's innovation. Uh, they are utterly meaningless at this point. And what I want to see are useful is a useful patent system, not a broken patent system. But I think right now, patents are not only broken as implemented, I think they're downright immoral. Um, and I also think that they uh, limit, not help uh, the cause of innovation. I have some more thoughts about patents, but I'm going to turn it over to Darren, who I'm sure has a few thoughts about them too. Well, when you mentioned patent trolls, it makes me uh, wish the uh, Christian hell mythology was actually true, uh, <laughs> specifically for them. Um, 
but uh, I don't know. I think our patent system is okay for right now. I think there, I think you're right. There are definitely some improvements that can be happen. Uh, patents aren't forever. They are only between 17 and 20 years, depending on the patent. Um, and you see some weird, weird behavior. Like the, the iPhone was the original one that came up with the sliding bar to unlock. And they patent to that. unlock. Yep, they patent that. Um, and so there was this big lawsuit between Apple and Android because Android was also using slide to unlock, but they couldn't because Apple owned the patent for that, which is why you, uh, there was that weird period uh, on Android phones where there was a lot of different unlock um, right. uh, procedures. Draw, uh, draw, a, draw a character to unlock, make a shape to unlock. Shake your phone right. in a certain way to unlock. Uh, yeah, right. Google did that on their phones, but their their other companies, such as Samsung, which was the first to really break out, they didn't. They just said, you know, screw it. We're going to slide to unlock, and we'll we'll go to court. <laughs> well, and that's because Samsung had their own patents that they could trade uh, Apple's use for, so that Samsung could use the. Um, uh, the Apple patents. They were right. basically trading the use of patents. Right. But this Google... again, I found, I find despicable because basically what Samsung said is because we have power and we have something that Apple wants, we're just going to freaking violate the patent. And then we will uh, strong arm them over the thing that they want to use, or we'll make it a part of our negotiations because they're buying uh, Ram from us and things like that. Um, yeah. that's Pretty at that point, you're not talking about a patent anymore. I don't. I don't even know why we're calling it a patent at that point. Business. Yeah, I think. Well, and you know, then Google uh, bought that phone company. I forget which one they bought, but they bought it. Uh, specifically. HTC. Yeah, they bought it specifically for the patents because Apple was suing the. Oh, uh, they bought Motorola too. Uh, yeah, Motorola and. Yeah, um, I think it was Motorola. They Apple hired HTC later. Motorola is yeah. one you're thinking about. And they um, and they sold a. Uh, pretty much the company to someone else. They took uh, a $12 billion bath. Yep. But they got the patents. And so Apple was suing them at the time. Um, and so they had, they finally had leverage with Apple because they bought all these patents. And I think patents are actually a good idea for smaller companies. I think if we were to fix the um, patent system, uh, I would actually fix it in a way that, once your company hits a certain size, whether that's monetarily or uh, uh, by person, and it would have to include the entire uh, network of companies that are all owned by the same people. Uh, so, you, you know, the big company didn't just roll out a new company that has just one person, you know. Um, but uh, I think at some point you give, you would uh, become so successful that you give up your right to, have a patent or create a patent. Um, and then uh, the small companies are would be the ones that are able to actually create patents. So I, I got think... my own solution, but before I give my solution, Teddy, uh, you're, you're fit to be tied. Um, yeah. I, so Darren, if, if you strip big companies of their patent rights, I wouldn't strip them of their current patents, just the one from creating new ones. 
Okay, but well, future ones. So if you take this away, a lot of times some of the most brilliant innovations are going to come from the bigger companies because they they may have you know the best of the best working for them. They can afford the um, the massive research and development that certain brilliant innovations require and right, it, which is why they don't need the protection of patent anymore at that point but no but but if for example let's take a pharmaceutical company and i think we're all in favor of you know the best drugs out there you know pharmaceutical <laughs> drugs out there possible for we all want good drugs and um and and Good drugs cost a lot of money in research and development. And then you have the issue of so many of these things that they research don't pan out. So then all of that money goes down the toilet. And then you have all of the things where, okay, they do come up with something, but it doesn't get FDA approval. And then that goes out the window. Or then it, something does get FDA approval, and then it turns out it has these weird side effects. And then they get sued by, you know, in a big class action lawsuit, and they bleed money that way. And so we have to remember that with these big corporations, there are shareholders. And if they're not making a profit, and it has to be a big enough profit um, where there's an adequate return on the investment and the risk that they take. And if, I mean, even with pharmaceutical, I don't know how long it is. I think they've shortened the amount of time that they have patents on new drugs because they go to generic fairly quickly. Um, nowadays, but um, you know, if if you if you undercut the the capitalist system, what you undercut is the incentive to um, to, to create, the incentive to take risk, and so it's it's it kind of goes back to the whole thing of. Um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, I mean, I get what you're saying, Darren, but I just think that that what the ultimate result is going to be is you're going to have far fewer new things coming out that can make well, huge differences in people's lives. Well, the Let problem with your analogy is that patents don't actually help any of that for big companies because big companies uh, don't like uh, the... Um, chemical companies you were talking about, they mm -hmm. don't, um, the reason the generics come out so quickly is because um, the generics change something so they're outside the patent, so the, uh, just slightly. So the, uh, so it's not the patent that's protecting the, the chemical companies, it's their uh, brand uh, marketing um, and all the money they have to throw at something because you can't just uh, create, um, a drug um, in your basement. You actually have to have the resources in order to do something like that, even if you already know the formula for creating it. Um, so in India, it, there are a lot of um, there are companies in India that are big with making generics, and and I agree with you. I mean, the generics aren't a hundred. Yeah, but but patents don't protect India from uh, creating the same thing the, because we. Um, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, that when they come out with the new drug, they've got, don't hold me to this. I want to say it's maybe 10 years or so to where, um, 
you know, they, they have exclusivity and then it can go generic. It's not that it automatically goes generic because they tweak a little bit of something. And, and an interesting thing is too, that a lot of times, a lot of times the generics work just fine for, for everyone, but um, it's, and they'll frequently say that generics are, it's the same thing. Well, it's not. Sometimes it's the little fillers in it that are a little bit different, but that sometimes can make a difference with different people taking the medication. So it's not, not always um, a total apple to apple comparison, but for most of the time, uh, generics work great for people. So I'm not trying to, you know. Right, but that, that doesn't have anything to do with the patents. But you uh, can't do a generic until the patents run out. In the US, you're correct. Generic. But China doesn't care about our patents. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I don't know how many people want to take a drug made in China either. Well, I'm guessing there's billions of people because they have their own drug companies over there. Yeah, it's but, not like America has the, uh, has the only drug companies in the world. You know, you talk about lead paint and children's toys and. Uh, yeah, which has nothing absolutely to do with patents. I know that, but I'm talking about things made in China. So let me let me let me just jump in and moderate just just a little bit, because I agree with both of you. I think that you both have points and I am somewhat torn over it. I do believe the thing that I care about is intellectual property. Um I was a musician before I was uh, any of this. <laughs> um, I have an album on iTunes right now that I don't make any money off of. <laughs> but uh, and and I don't want to point you to it, but uh, it's there. You can you can get it. if you have um, Apple Music. You can listen to it now. Stream it for free. Um, I've been I've been making intellectual property for a long time. I write for a living, so there's some intellectual property there. What I care about is. Um, person having a right to make money off of their ideas. Uh, and so it, I, I have an idea, let's say I write a song uh, and I present it to a publishing company. Uh, the publishing company uh, rejects my song, but then uh, a couple, couple months down, I hear uh, star singer, whoever singing a song that's just like my song published by the publishing company um, that I sent it to. And um, that's going to make me a little bit, uh, it's going to make me feel a certain way. I mean, that's because right, that's copyright that's, you're talking about there. Right. right. I, under, I understand, but I'm, I'm what, so I'm, I'm talking, that's why I put it in the term in terms of intellectual property. So uh, copyrights, patent, copyrights, trademarks, uh, and patents, I kind of tend to put in the same bucket when I talk about this, uh, because the the real bucket that I'm after is uh, IP. That said, uh, I, patents are the particular thing that we are talking about now. I just wanted to to say that I do I do have a, a great deal of sympathy for people, whether they are wealthy or poor, who have an idea. And they go through the trouble of making that idea and they bring that idea to life. They should have a chance to make money on that idea. That said, I do believe that patents should be temporary so that uh, no one can own an idea forever. Now, I do agree with Darren uh, largely that uh, part, of the, part of the thing is that patents really aren't the driving force 
behind a lot of this. And here's, here's how you can know that. A company like Apple can innovate and make a blank, whatever the blank is, whatever the next thing that they decide to do is they can make it. I guarantee you um, that, you know, a few weeks after that, uh, Samsung, Xiaomi, whatever, whatever fast follower uh, uh, you want to mention, will have one out there too. And it'll look mostly this exactly the same way or mostly the same way so close that people will be confused by it and it'll work mostly the same way it'll have some version of uh, that feature because the companies they make stuff based on apple rumors <laughs> so that by the time apple uh releases it's out you know and so um apple however is going to be a three trillion dollar company uh, in a few months. I don't feel sorry for Apple in, a, uh, in, in that sense, but they do have the right to make things and profit on it. But the reason we know that the patent system doesn't work is because companies like Apple are so immediately copied that anybody who wants to copy it does copy. Apple doesn't have enough time or money to sue everybody who copies them and the courts uh, aren't going to let Apple own an idea anyway. If it's a big idea, it's a, like, for instance, the iPhone, it's a big idea. Uh, it was clearly different than uh, most of the other things that come uh, before it. And you can kind of see it in, in photos. Um, uh, you can look at the smartphones before the iPhone and the iPhone, then look at the phones uh, that were immediately after the iPhone. Um, this is what the industry did. Patents be damned. Uh, and so there was, well, there was absolutely nothing about the patent system that stopped or slowed down, quote unquote, well, innovation uh, proliferating throughout. Um, that's, that's because iPhone didn't come up with something new. They came in, they uh, did what was already there better than any, everyone else. Well, but what they, they get the, what the, the things that they did that were uniquely iPhone, that were uniquely them, even down to the design of icons, everyone just copied they, they just yeah we're gonna do that and well, no because they it's not that they uh that people ignore the patent system it was that apple could not patent those because they already existed well and and one of the things just to um provide a little bit of clarification you actually can't copyright an idea I mean, you can't patent one either. It, it's got to be in a very specific form. And so- Yeah, but I question, uh, I I question the form that, um, that they're done. I, I believe someone patented, uh, Darren, uh, tell, me, tell me if I'm right about this, that the, the making of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich um, is something ridiculous like that. It, people people patent this kind of stuff all the time. People have patents for perpetual machine, uh, perpetual motion machines. There will never be such a thing. That's fine, but the patent office is glad to give you a patent for it. Uh, I think that I think that it is very broken, and patents are kind of meaningless and stupid, um, and they don't do the thing that they were intended to do. And so, my solution to the patent. Uh, problem is this, and it doesn't make me happy. It won't make either of you happy. It won't make any of the listeners happy. My solution, uh, though, would be to make all patents friend patents, uh, which is free, uh, uh, free, no, not free, uh, fair, um, 
reasonable and uh, fair, reasonable and something else. Um, so people who um, who build things like um, I don't know standards like um, well, Qualcomm. Uh, for instance, would be an example. People who would maybe build uh, network chips uh, for something like 5G or LTE. Those are licensed under FRAND. Uh, and what that means is they have to sell the licenses to this to everybody who wants to buy a license for it hmm. at a fair and reasonable price uh, that is... Uh, uh, uniform across the board. And so what, what that kind of license does is the company that comes up with this, they can make a bazillion dollars because everybody has to license it from them, but they have to be fair in the licensing. And, and what companies... Competition, which... Right, but what companies, do, what, what companies like Qualcomm do, and this was the, um, uh, the uh, subject of a lawsuit uh, from a couple of years back, uh, they would uh, take a company like Apple, who makes the iPhone, <laughs> and uh, Apple uh, needed LTE chips. <laughs> they would license them from Qualcomm, but Qualcomm would charge Apple way more than anybody else because Apple's rich <laughs> and they make the iPhone. That is illegal under Frand. That's the kind of thing that you can do if you don't have a FRAND license and the kind of thing that you can't do if you do have a FRAND license. So um, if every patent was a FRAND type patent, then no company would have exclusivity on anything for any period. They, would have, like to, they would have to license it to people who wanted to use it and the people would have to pay them a licensing fee a small, reasonable licensing fee, um, and that the would be small, that would be it. I don't know about the small part. Yeah. I mean, it should be reasonable, but reasonable might not be small. Well, but but it but it is it is it is a matter of regulation, uh, and so yeah. I don't I don't know what defines a fair, reasonable uh, fee, but that is something that's regulated, and that can be and is uh, quite frequently challenged in court. Uh, yeah, if, like a, if a company holding a FRAND license is trying to stick it to somebody, uh, a, a judge can knock that down. Yeah, but it, it's got to yeah. be enough to where the company remains incentivized to come up with... Non-discriminatory. Fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. Okay. That's, that's FRAND. I, I, I'm down with that. And so there, there must be some sort of flaw if I'm agreeing with you on something like that. Well, I, I like it for the larger yeah. companies, but what about this uh, garage companies that are just getting started. I think the smaller companies would uh, uh, actually benefit more from a friend license than from uh, a, pat a normal patent. And the reason I say that is because uh, let's say, you know, one of my harebrained ideas, the, um, the, the better drinking straw that I have drawn up in my mind uh, for people who drive cars and drink big gulps. Uh, don't worry, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bore you with the details of uh, my uh, driver's straw. Uh, but uh, I'm never going to be a big company, even if I even if I did it. So well, I don't with that attitude. To, I don't want to sell 
straws to people. I want to sell a license uh, to companies that want to make their own straws based on my patent. And well, so what about even, the people that do want to make straws? Well, um, but you, so they can still make straws and they can sell them for whatever they want to, but they would also have to license it to other companies. So let's say a big company uh, wanted to right, license. So you're, take, you're taking away their th the thing that makes them unique so they can't gain market share. Yes, a, they, they won't be able that to gain to a company that, that, is, that will that is, completely crush them because they'll never be able to. That is absolutely true that they will not gain market share, but they won't be crushed because they will be getting paid, uh, you know, so much well, per straw. And so if a big, be if a big company sells a billion straws a year or, or a month, you know, and you're making a penny uh, off of that, you're still doing okay as a, as a small guy who had an idea. I think right, you, did you don't okay. have your company. You, well, you basically made it impossible for that guy to, to build a company. Well, actually, what would happen even with, with or without a patent is a big company would just buy them. Uh, now, I have some feelings about um, whether big companies should be able to buy <laughs> small companies, because I think that that crushes innovation, um, too. And I'd almost rather see small companies uh, take their shot and die out rather than to be swallowed up by big companies. Um, but well, if, that that's, if like that's how we're going to do things, then in your example, uh, we don't have to worry about whether that small company makes it big. They're not going to make it big. They're going to, they're going to get bought out by a big fish. So you're in favor of monopolies then? But no, I, yeah, no, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm, I'm conflicted on monopolies too. I think that, um, I think well, because that your monop proposal will make it impossible not to have monopolies. Well, I, I think it's impossible not to have monopolies now, uh, which is which is part of the problem. And so, you're, this well, the reason I wanted to end with patents is because of where we started. So you'll recall that I that I uh, proposed the notion uh, that companies should that once they get big enough, they're going to be anti-competitive uh, by by the nature of their size. There's just no way not to be in that there are certain innovations, inventions that become so much a part of the public good that they have to be regulated, essentially taken over by uh, the public in some way. At the same time, uh, until a company gets there, they should be able to do what they do. Uh, and we just need better definitions about what it means for a company to get there. Um, but I do, uh, I do hate big companies buying up small companies. Whenever some small company does something that's interesting, they don't have the room to breathe and they have to sell. And these days, small companies, they're not even out there to become big companies. Most of the, most of the stuff that um, is in the um, entrepreneur um, tech Phil, uh, these days are companies that don't have a business model. The only reason they exist is to prove a concept and get bought by a big company. That that is the business model. So um, you know something like Clubhouse. Clubhouse doesn't want to be Clubhouse. Clubhouse Clubhouse wants to be bought by somebody. <laughs> so, but David, for example, like with Facebook, Facebook and Twitter, they're huge. But Parler went from being just, you know, nothing to boom, they got, I, I don't have the number of how many million 
uh, people signed up. But I mean, conservatives just like flocked. Sure, like, I bet Parler would have been happy if Fox and, News had written them a check for a hundred billion dollars. And but had had uh, Amazon and and all these other uh, folks not tried to deplatform them, they. It, it would have been okay. Parlor would have done just fine. It was outside of the conversation of patents, but uh, yes. But, but it was when the anti-competitive move kicked in, where they were trying to deplatform Parlor. That's when the big company was doing wrong. Well, but, but that wasn't I mean, anti-competitive. Well, the um, big companies weren't doing wrong in that case because of what Parlor was doing. Yeah, that w- that wasn't anti-competitive behavior at any rate. Yeah, so that was that was Parler's fault for doing what they were doing. And, and all of those companies, it was like several of them, boom, just deplatformed. It all happened. It was just boom, boom, boom. Right, because you have to realize was every fault every one, one of those companies that deplatformed them initially had uh, welcomed Parler onto their platforms. Every last one of them. They knew what Parler was in the first place. They all said, "Yeah, you're not you're not violating anything. Sure, you can be on this platform." They deplatformed them after Parler uh, engaged in many bad acts. So you're 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 kind of drawing a picture as if to say these companies they hate uh, Parler and they just wanted to hurt them. No, every one of these companies welcomed Parler onto their platform. Parlor because they wanted the money. I mean, you know, it's no. It's not- they did it because Parlor was allowing uh, people to um, plan to plant bombs at the United States Capitol and um, and coordinate attacks and that was people. done on Facebook. On Facebook, it was found that there were groups that were coordinating, and it. those that groups are closed down. Yes, on Facebook, Facebook platform them too. That was not Parlor. I mean, yeah, it was. We've got the it, screenshots and everything of Parler doing that. And then uh, Amazon asked them to uh, uh, to get their people under control. Parler refused. And so Parler was removed because they Apple broke uh, the, Amazon's terms of service. Apple was one that. of the last companies that removed Parler. They weren't the first one. Uh, and they there's a paper trail. They talked back and forth to Parler a lot about their uh, moderation policies and the particular problems they were having. Parler did not change to meet the terms of services for these companies. And what about Facebook? Why, why is Facebook still around? Given well, because, Facebook- well, for one, Facebook owns their own servers. They're not using someone else's servers. And second, they are moderating their own, uh, yeah, their own people. Actually, we found, they found that on Facebook that there were groups, um, you know. Yeah, and, and a lot of those were closed down. Not even all the Antifa and Black Lives Matter stuff. If, if Amazon owned the servers that Facebook ran on, Amazon could close them down. Come on. I mean, it's left against right. Wait a minute. No, no actually, what, it isn't. Only if in the Amazon Fox owned the servers, <laughs> Amazon could shut them down. Harvard doesn't have, own anything. But they wouldn't have. And actually, there was a. And they big, still don't own anything. They still don't own their servers. There was a big stink at Parlor. That's why they're, I think it was their CEO that got um, booted out. Because he was the one that wanted to go to to Amazon, and they were like, the other people were like, "What do you? What do right? You do? What do you think is going to become of the guy who said, yeah, let's go to Russia'? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's I think history's going to remember him. 
that's just desperation. That's like when you've got no other choices given what, what has happened. The Russian, they, they're, they're big on free speech there. It's well, I mean, there. They, they like to just see a dust up and they don't like, in, in terms of like when Hillary ran for president, you know, they were doing disinformation on both sides, if you buy into all that. I mean, so. So just, just, just for the sake of the audience, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shut us off. I'll let, allow you to continue to talk after uh, we're done here. In fact, I might even keep the tape rolling just because. But officially speaking, uh, this show is over. It ended about 20 minutes ago. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Believe it or not, this is what I call a palate cleanser. Next week, we get into the serious business of the hiddenness of God. Mm. Hopefully, I will have my voice back uh, by then. Uh, expect to see the blog uh, within uh, the same day that you see uh, this um, go up. Uh, Skeptic Seekers at Squarespace. Uh, sorry, skepticsandspeakers.squarespace.com. Uh, It'll be on the hiddenness of God. You will see it. <laughs> Uh, read the blog, start the comments. Uh, we will do the show next week. If you want us to talk about something in the show, uh, leave a comment in the blogs. We will be perusing um, the, um, the discuss for your comments. Um, besides that, I think that's uh, it. Thank you. And uh, we will continue with the after show for as long as I decide this train wreck goes on. <laughs> You were you were saying train wreck, Teddy. Yeah. Oh, I'm not train wrecked. Ah. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm just like uh, I'll, I'll. I know I was listening to Dan Bongino, and he is one of the investors, one of the I think the three people that kind of initially invested in Parlor, and I, I'll have to go looking into that. The whole thing about the the screenshots. I know that they. Part of it was just that, you know, when you have free speech, there's going to be stinky speech in there, too. Well, and you know, so, Section yeah, no. 230 would make them liable. I mean, if you take out Section 230, if you modify it the way you want to, Parler would have been liable for that. And that, and then where would they have been? It has to it has to do more, though, in terms of Section 230. And, and actually, this is what the amendments need to address. It's the unfair, unequal application of the rules. So it's kind of like if you're going to say you can't have certain harassing behavior or uh, hate speech, it can't just be uh, hate speech from one political side of the aisle. It needs yeah, to Well, Parler wasn't deplatformed because of hate speech. They were... Uh, uh, deplatform for fermenting violence, and yes, oh if, if the left is fermenting violence, they're going to get deplatformed as well. I will. Um, I remember when that all when that stuff was going down. I was listening to uh, Dan Bongino's podcast. Uh, he is a former Secret Service agent, and he served under Obama and uh, uh, George W. Bush, if I remember correctly. And um, he, uh, he, like I said, he's one of the three investors uh, in Parler and he, he was getting into all that. But of course, that's it's been a little while now and my memory's not fresh on those details. Um, but I'll, I'll look into it and I'll- Do, do you deny that Parler were, was um, had bad actors that were doing things worthy of getting banned? I, I will, I'll tell you what, 
I heard what Dan Bongino said, but all I can tell you is, is that everything Dan Bongino says that I've ever heard him say, it's all come out to be true. For example, with the impeach, the first impeachment hearings, he's written. That's like- not, that's not what I asked. Do you think that Parler uh, was engaged in uh, there, there was speech engaged in, in uh, on Parler and things done on Parler that was worthy of them getting banned? I- I'm not aware of any. So, okay, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll look into it and I'll provide it, provide it that there were in fact things that were worthy of them getting banned. Do you have a problem uh, with that at that point? So it's just a matter of you needing more information is, is what I'm hearing. Um, it Because we can get you more information. The information's easy. The information's out there. For example, if somebody's engaging in criminal behavior, federal criminal behavior, like, um, which is what Potter was doing. Conspiring, conspiring to, uh, you know, to, to blow something up, things like that, then, you know, then, then maybe, you know, they should have been pushed. But I think that they would have taken stuff like that down. So I know they did. They, they didn't. That's why they were, that's why they were deplatformed. That's okay, exactly that, why. That's the thing with the left. I mean, a lot of times the facts are so skewed. So let, I will well, look once again, that. you say the left, if, if if you're saying big tech that let Parler in the first place, the left, they are the ones who gave them the platform. Yeah, but they also gave it to them when they were tiny. And then all the conservatives just like Parler just. Yeah, you shouldn't be trying to politicize this. It has nothing to do with right. But, and left. but I think it does. Well, it doesn't. You're just wrong. I, I'm just telling you, I I trust what. What Dan Bongino oh, says, no, no, oh, like okay. Ronald Reagan. Then, then said, why aren't why aren't there not. platforms on the right then? Why why instead of instead of complaining about the left, mm-hmm. why, why not go to some servers owned by the right? Do the do the right not they, know how to use computers? Do they not have any innovation? Do they not have any companies? Do they not have what? Why is why is it the left? Before. That was the right. I mean, because of what has been going on with Facebook and Twitter and all of this with, with this censorship, that is precisely why. You do, why but, 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 you do you're realize not, that you're missing, uh, you're missing the question. If you think that there, if you think that this is a leftist agenda. Where are the rightest companies that they could go to? That's where they're starting to come about because they're starting to realize that they need a parallel economy. Well, why are they just now starting? We, we've been in... Because we, it's become extreme now. Th- things... Well, you do, wait you do realize that Facebook... You mean to tell me that before now, no conservative company wanted to make an Amazon... They never wanted to make an Apple. They never wanted to make a Microsoft. They never wanted to make a Twitter. They never... Only now... They're interested in that. Where is Amazon, where is the innovation from the right? Of course, Amazon, um, you know, engages in a lot of anti-competitive practices. So that definitely tends to make it difficult. Your Honor, for uh, the question, uh, she fails to answer the question, or even yeah, it. it makes it difficult for both people on the right and the left to um, to go up against them. And, and look at Facebook. Facebook is so dominating the area and it's in its through advertising. And not only that, but then you get with Google where the search engine itself. So only left advertise people. The what? Only the left advertises. 
No, no, but I'm saying that because the platform with Facebook is so huge, there's such a huge audience, both people on the right and left are going to want to advertise. So there where, where is the right audience. version of Facebook? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're working on it. And, and that's, that's well, what they're not working on it, though, if they're buying uh, space on Amazon servers, because Facebook, Facebook doesn't have to worry about that. That was the idiot move of, um, of the yeah. CEO of Parler. And, and there were a lot of people that disagreed with that. And that's why he got booted out. Um, yeah. Plus, Zuckerberg's not a leftist. I hate no. to break have you heard of Peter bubble, Field? But Zuckerberg's not oh, on the left. What? Zuckerberg's not a leftist. That's what Darren is saying. Have you ever heard of Peter Thiel? You know who Peter Thiel yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. But Zuckerberg is like the Nancy Pelosi types, I think. They're they're all He bent over backwards and broke Facebook uh, terms of service users to keep co conservative voices on his platform. So did Twitter, so you can't by the say way. that he's he's got an anti-right agenda. I, I know tons of conservatives. I, I don't really use Facebook hardly at all. But I know tons of conservatives who do, who were active on Facebook. I mean, look, they were shutting down. Well, yeah, down there's tons of uh, leftists that uh, got banned from Facebook, York, too. They shut down the New York Post article, for example, on Biden and, and both. The, the New York Post should be shut Biden. down on general principles. But okay. um, that's you know, It's the fourth largest publication in this country well, yes, they have the they had the right to stop misinformation from uh, perpetrating on their platform don't tell me that that's not you know them uh tinkering and with you know politics and them showing their leftist both, both facebook and twitter as darren mentioned I, I had twitter uh bent over so far backwards to keep conservative speech going that was against their policies, their stated policies. Liberals, including me, were shouting, saying, what, what's going on, Facebook, Twitter? You've got terms of service. This is not a judgment call. Here, here are the things that the conservatives are saying. You should ban this post, and you should ban the post. They did not. You know what they did? Hold on. You know what they did? The both companies, they changed their rules. And they did it two or three times uh, in order to keep the conservatives going. It was a long time before they the finally business? actually banned it. How about the business of if anybody brought up that the uh, election was stolen, that boom, you're gone? Well, that's a lie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's complete it's, misinformation. It's, no, it's, it's not materially a lie. untrue. And it was the thing that caused. That, it is that, not. It is the thing that created the. Yes, um, Teddy. Atmosphere. I hate to tell you this, but it's complete and total fabrication that the that the election was stolen. All not. all of the states did uh, double uh, as their pro policy and their process. It's been like this for decades, hundreds of years. They double check everything, and nothing was found. Right before the elections, where all of these. Uh, what was it? Four or five states that were Republican. It's it's the nonsensical, state, Teddy. The Teddy. Constitution says that if you're going to Ted, change Teddy. election laws, it has to utterly be nonsensical. Courts courts led. heard this argument. No, they did. And, they did and not denied this argument. This yes, but Trump and Trump lost sixty some odd uh, 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 lawsuits. Because he did not have the evidence. He did not have the, uh, out of the standing. Okay. I'm telling you, first of all, this, this is not 
debatable in terms of, first of all, the rigging that went on with those four or five states that were Republican controlled. It's not debatable if you shoot the other people in the debate, but otherwise. (laughs) But listen, David, the constitutions, U.S. constitutions, you cannot change state, uh, you cannot change election laws in a state except for the state legislature to do that. that. They went and they went through the judiciary and they made changes. And then they they started taking away all of these rules saying, oh, it's for COVID. Judges did rule on that, Teddy. They could not do that. That is illegal. Apparently, the the judges disagree with you. (laughs) Well, those judges are morons. Okay, well, the same well, can be said well, for you. I, I'm telling you, just because, I mean, judges do all sorts of things. You know what? Judges said that people. So Republican, Republican judges, judges who voted this who way. Shot all this all down the, are morons. The, okay. Republican judges, judges are morons. I like it. People could be property. And, and, and so, you know, screw those judges. You know, just because a judge says something. I agree. Screw the Republican it. judges. No, it wasn't. Those were Democrat judges. That no, said they were Republican were judges, a lot of them. That those were not. It was Chief Justice Taney, who was a Democrat. He was In a case a sponsor wants to uh, sponsor me, this sounds like a good time for icebreakers. Icebreaker mints. It makes everything mintier. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> ice? Well, the, the right was never able to produce even a single bit of uh, evidence that anything wrong happened. And when they went up to the Supreme Courts for those states, the Supreme Courts all said that was fine. Lots of people have been caught with um, lots of ballots in, in Texas. There were a bunch. No, of they weren't. So it was it was this lie, Teddy, that brought that led us to the insurrection. It, it's this lie that led to the violence. And this is why platforms. Joe Biden uh, and his. This is why platforms had to finally do something about it. It's not that they're. It's not that they're so puritanical. Hang on. It's not that they were so puritanical that they were trying to legislate against lying. Politicians lie all the time. This particular lie. This particular lie, is what fomented insurrection. They had no choice. They had no choice but to do what they did. Insurrection. First of all, the only person that died was an unarmed veteran. Where's all the Black Lives Matters? Wait, wait, wait. wait. There were five people. Five people died. uh, That's not true. That is absolutely fake news. No, it's not. Just because it disagrees with your narrative doesn't make it fake news. Wait, but how many people died? Liberals now are admitting to that. How many people died? Capital, one person died as a result, and that person was an unarmed person. That, and now I'm not saying she should have done what she did, but how come there's no call for all the people, you know, Black Lives Matters? Here's an unarmed person that got shot by the police. How come nobody's raising a stink over that? Nobody's looking into, well, what exactly did she do? Let's see the video footage. Did they really need to shoot her? And she was a veteran. Nobody did you knows. realize there's all sorts of uh, investigations going on around that, right? Yeah, but you know what? If it had been a black person, what would have happened? What would have happened? 
uh, I don't know, a black person storming the Capitol. Oh, how it broken loose? As if it, it's not, it's not uh, like it is even yeah, stopped. If, if black, yeah, if black in, people in were storming chambers. the Capitol, they would have had actual guards there. First of all, they didn't even, the, the guards weren't even really stopping people. Now, I'm not saying that they should have done what they did. They should have remained with the other peaceful protesters. I'm all for the fact that there was a protest there because that needed to be done. But in terms of, you know, going into the Capitol and, and all of that business, I'm, I'm not supporting. Yeah, they, they erected a gallows for Pence. Yeah. Because Trump wanted okay, I, uh, said that he should be held accountable. Okay, no, but I've not heard anything about gallows. From you Pence never saw. Oh, to come on! No. You never saw the gallows. Are you like in the? Do you do yeah. nothing but watch Fox News or okay, OAN? I, watch Fox I watched this just so you know. I was watching the news. I had taken off that day. It was uh, Wednesday. TV. I took it. I took. I took that day off because I knew that something like this was going to happen. And being being in the business I am, I wanted to cover it. And so I watched all day uh, until it did. I watched all the coverage, and I. It is so hard. I watched it all live uh, for about twenty four hours. I can I can hardly believe that you were seriously telling me that you don't know anything about the gallows. No, I I, I did watch some of the coverage. You you didn't see the gallows? No, I, I didn't. Hang Mike Pence. They were chanting, "Hang Mike Pence," and they and they oh, actually had a a wooden structure with a noose. Okay, <laughs> well, and first of all, they did find that there. There, there has been um, testimony of some people where uh, they did find agitators there. So I don't know whether, you know, if that was. Yeah. And then the that people part, that were actually there went on to their social media and said, hey, these people weren't here. We, we did this. I, I don't know. I don't know. So. Well, okay. I know you but, don't know because you're spouting all these lies about this, that, the, this I information. Know, I know y'all's news <laughs> The fact that you don't know about the gallows tells me that you're you're not credible to have this conversation, Teddy. Perhaps the reason I've not heard about the gallows is, is because you watch uh, you watch uh, whatever the cons most conservative rag is. <laughs> I listen to conservative talk radio. I don't watch Fox News. I, I'm not. Well, that's, that doesn't make it better. At the, at, yeah. at the, no. the election, Fox News, I couldn't distinguish them from CNN, quite frankly. Okay, but what conservative source did you hear that never talked about the chance to hang white pants and the gallows that they erected? Again, I never heard it from Dan Bongino. I never heard it this, from. This should uh, tell you girl. that you should not be listening to those sources. No, just just no, Google it. You know, well, you can see pictures, you. probably video that was captured live. Go I, for it. Uh, let's just assume, okay, because I, I have not. Sure, let's assume that, that it's let's actually true since it is. assume for the sake of argument that it's true. How do we know that it wasn't um, Antifa doing Because that? the people that actually did it said it, and they said they weren't Antifa. <laughs> They actually went well, in and made videos of themselves. Okay, if Antifa is trying to subvert things, you think they're going to say, uh, "Oh, we're—they're trying to pretend oh, like they're it, it wasn't the—it wasn't the good Republicans that were that were it, doing insurrection. It was Antifa. Actually, there was yes, because because Republicans about aren't aren't about guns and small government or anything like that. I mean, that's completely out of character for Republicans. 
Look, I, I'm telling you, I wasn't too happy with Pence either, but that's not the typical thing. Did you want Mike Pence hanged? Huh? Did you want him hanged? No, I didn't say I wanted him hanged. Oh, well, good, because the people in the crowd were shouting for him to be I, hanged. I, I thought carrying he a... did wrong. I, I, no, I mean, uh, most of the crowd, by far. What did Mike Pence do wrong? Protesting. Wait, wait. He what did... have stood up and he should have argued against the whole thing with the under Under party. what part of the law? Because you keep holding up the, the, you know, the your constitution. I, I'm familiar with the constitution. Uh, not not the dummy I look like just because I look like him from the witness protection program. Uh, so w tell me what constitutional thing that you think Mike Pence could have done in those chambers that day, because that was another part of the big lie that somehow all Pence had to do was to reject it and he could stop it. There's nothing that Pence could have done. Tell me okay, what Pence could have constitutionally done. With, okay, let's let's back up to the electoral college. The elect the the electors that is this going to lead to you telling me what Pence could have done? It it will because he did not have to uh, to just you know put his stamp of approval on that, and he okay. could have. Okay, challenged. what could he have done? He could have challenged it. How? No, he couldn't. That's not, not part not of what he could I, do. I would argue that you are factually just wrong, and you don't know the law or the constitution yeah. if you think that he could have. Because he Al had Gore a would have. Uh, ceremonial doing it. role no, there's, there's it, nothing in that role that would allow him to VP, do it the vp is the tiebreaker, and i'm trying to remember now um yeah that's urban there's myth. no tie i know i'm trying to remember well no i think i'm trying to remember now um i know that ted cruz and uh by the Bobby, way i know that you know Bobby, the law okay they, so i, they, I, don't, I gave, anyone who's still listening to this <laughs> I, I'm not accusing you of not knowing the law. And, and Mike Pence didn't have to roll over. Mike Pence did not have to roll over. R roll over in what way? I'm I'm having trouble. Uh, I'm pretty sure Mike Pence knew that Trump was uh, full of bullshit. None of that was actually happening. Right. There's, there was nothing that Pence could have done in in that. I've, I've looked at the Constitution uh, on that. I've listened to it read by it. others uh, on that very clause. Pence's, Pence's role is very regimented. Pence himself looked at the Constitution. I, I believe he probably wanted to challenge it. He simply couldn't. He There's no... He did. I don't think, quite frankly, he's um, quite got that in him. There, there is no clause in the law so that would allow him to challenge the result. He could have done None. something. He could have done something. He could have well, done up. what? He could have I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, done what? At minimum, he could have spoken up and said something. No, actually, he couldn't. He would have been out of line. Out of line? Yes, oh, he would have been out of line to do so. Me. He couldn't. No, he could not. Does he not have free speech rights? No, not in the Senate oh. chamber carrying out that function. He does not. Could have, yes. No, he could not have. He has a specific duty that he has to do. He does not have the right to go beyond that duty. I disagree. I don't think so. Well, you can well, disagree you all you want. I'm talking about so. constitutional I law. Know. I'll have to look into that, but I don't think that he could have. He could have said something. And no, even just, he could not have. Even, you know what? Even as an, even as a patriot, even as an act of civil disobedience, he, he could he could have been called out of order by uh, by the Senate. Um, being out of order. 
Okay, well, I ask you for some legal thing that he could have done to change the results of this, and you don't have anything. And the reason is no, because I, I, constitutionally, saying, once again, every everything that happens in that I procedure, hold on, everything that happens in that procedure is laid out in the Constitution, including the time of day that uh, that it's supposed to happen. It's very detailed. It's I, very regimented. And there is no room for the vice president to get up and make a speech saying that he doesn't like the result. I he cannot do, not, do it. I am just fuzzy. I, I'm just not remembering the details. I knew it back then. Um, I just don't remember those details now. But I remember that there was reason that... Um, plenty of conservatives were hoping that he would do something. Well, the reason they and were hoping same, is because they were hoping way, that he would break the law. There the was nothing in the law that would allow him to do it. In the same way that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and, and some others spoke up. Uh, I mean, but, the they, but they do have a legal right. That's, that's the difference. They actually do have the legal right to do it, and they did. Now, I think, I think it was stupid. But they exercised their legal constitutional right. Well, like the vice president in the Senate did not have that right. Okay, let's just assume. Again, I'll I'll look into it because, um, like I said, I just don't remember. Uh, I didn't realize we were going to be discussing this. But um, if nothing else, an act. It, 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 I know, but if nothing else is an act of civil disobedience, I would have said something. Okay, fine. We would have had a vice president who is disobeying the Constitution, which he was there to uphold. We well, call that insurrection. You know what also disobeys? Because, well, hold on. The vice president does not get to have civil disobedience. No, they, look, they change state election laws unconstitutionally. Wait, why do you keep running from the no, things well, that you're the saying? They were giving out, handing out all of these mail-in ballots. And, oh, there's never any fraud with mail-in ballots. Oh, come There's on. not. There's very little fraud with mail-in ballots. Oh, no. Uh, the, the, the ones that they actually found were for uh, for uh, votes for Trump. Oh, come on, Darren. I mean, in, look at- It's just because you're drinking the Kool-Aid on, uh, on this bullshit that Trump's been spouting for the last uh, five or six months doesn't actually make I'm it true. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. Darren, the fact that we know that they were rigging the election through the courts by well, changing they didn't the election do that. laws to do what? They didn't do were that. They, they did not rig the elections through the courts. That is just honest, bullshit. Or were they trying to make it rife for fraud? They, just, everything just so yeah, you know, nothing guys, you're saying I, is actually true. Oh, hang on, just so you just so you guys know, I'm going to I'm going to step out because I've got to I've got to get back to work. But that said, any any member of the audience who is still listening to this who is crazy enough to be still listening to this, uh, that's on you guys. Um, but. I have no problem with this kind of conversation. I could do it all day, except I've got to, I got to work. So um, that said, um, Teddy, uh, my my great regards for uh, for your uh, issues today. Um, I I live in fear uh, every day of the same thing happening to me, and so um, hopefully this um, you don't take anything in this session of fu uh, in some kind of <laughs> personal way uh people listening that's an inside joke um, the, um the first oh. kind of a little teaser of f you 
So that said, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the button. If this ends up knocking you guys off, it's not my intent. Uh, I'm going to try to choose the option that um, doesn't knock you guys off. But I've got to I've got to run because I've got to uh, like I said I've got to get get some work done before um, before the day's over. So thanks so much uh, for sticking around, Darren. I I appreciate you being available for these things, Darren. And um, so uh, carry on by all means. <laughs> Assign me. Bye. Assign 